4: So it goes. There's Scott Fransky. Last night, as you heard, Phillies lose six to five. Third straight loss after that four-game win streak. Although there's a lot to talk about in that game. Good morning, everybody. I'm Glenn Mack. Now joined by my pal Rob Ellis. Mike Sielski continues to be on vacation. How are you this morning, Rob?
5: Glenn, what's up, my friend? How are you?
4: I'm good. I'm great. I'm great. Um, not happy with the result. However, we did learn, Rob Ellis, that Bryce Harper is a combination of Keith Hernandez, Paul Goldschmidt, and Casey Kochman. <laughs> Flawless. Casey Kochman. Okay. I, you know, I, I wanted to get, you know, I'm, listen, I'm very addicted to this uh, uh, immaculate grid, so I'm pulling obscure baseball names left and right.
5: I, I tweeted wow and yikes after, yeah. after the play. <laughs> oh, that was that. As impressed I, as you were, you were frightened at the same no, time. No
4: question. And we'll get to that one in just a moment. Everybody knows the background. Two months back from Tommy Don surgery, Bryce Harper, one-time catcher, I guess third baseman in his youth, uh, career outfielder, makes his first start of his pro career at first base. So let's just go right from the start because he was, I don't know about tested, but he was involved immediately in the game in the first inning, Stephen Kwan at bat, and here's the play. Juan hits a bouncer right to Harper, of course, and he's got it. Flips underhand to Suarez. Get that first one out
6: of the way. (laughs) And Bryce Harper has a 1,000 fielding percentage over at first base.
4: All right. Not exactly a tough play, Rob Ellis, but I'm sure watching it, fingernails being chewed in your teeth. You are happy to see that, right? Glenn, is
5: there any, any more true adage than the ball will find you? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, is there any greater example than last night? No, I mean, look, it, it gave him a really nice hop. He made a nice toss. The good thing is you have an, a, an athletic good fielding pitcher and ranger. No, I mean, look, he looked very smooth and very comfortable out there first play. Right.
4: It was nice to see an inning later, Miles Straw hits a liner his way. Harper goes to his knees, catches it. You're thinking, all right, there you go. What could he do for an encore? Oh. And then, Rob, as you kind of alluded to earlier, the third inning, Bryce Harper, newly minted first baseman, makes a play that has all of us kind of shaking our head. Ahmad Rosario is at bat um, for the Guardians, hits a foul ball, and here we go. Swing and a pop-up. Foul over on the first
6: base side. Harper going over to the rail. He leaps, he catches, he goes into the camera well, and he hangs
4: on. Are you kidding me? Come on, dude. (laughs) By the way, Scott Franks is the greatest. The best. I think he's the best best. out there. Uh, And you see Harper thrust up the arm to show that he's got the catch and so on. Um, I guess Harper had said he thought there was going to be more netting. He didn't think he'd go into the well. Yeah,
5: he thought the netting would catch him.
4: Right, and he's not used to playing the position, and he's certainly not used to playing the position in different stadiums. Uh, Not that the Phillies get to Cleveland very often, but there you go. It was fine. He was
5: fine. Your thoughts – on his performance last night in the field, Glenn. Frankly, I, I'm not surprised. Look, I, I don't think it's an easy thing. People make out first base like anybody could do it, which I don't buy that. But when you're as athletic as he is, when you're a baseball player like he is, and when you probably worked your tail off, I wasn't there for the you know pre-game, in-between-game workouts and all that, but I'm sure he put the work in. And they have a very good you know infield coach in Bobby Dickerson. I, I, I'm not surprised. Was it impressive? Yeah, it was very impressive and that catch was insane. And I thought Fransky nailed it. But yeah, I'm I'm look, I'm not one who's afraid of this like some people are. I think we'll be fine there. I honestly do.
4: I'm a little bit afraid. I'm certainly was a little bit afraid when he took that tumble. I was a little bit afraid. Well, that's what
5: scares you more than anything else. He can tend to be I don't want to say reckless, but he's he's a he forgets the other circumstances and he, he just thinks of himself as a ball player and everything else you know, goes to the, to the side. That's the thing that concerns you is throwing caution to the wind with your body. Like he does.
4: He does not recognize limitations No, at any point. So yes, he will. I mean, we see this when he gets caught going to second trying to stretch a single into a double. We see when he gets caught stealing and times when like, what the heck are you running for? You admire the the guts that he's got uh, and the all out, but there are times when it doesn't work. Okay. So you're, you're pretty confident that Mm -hmm. he's going to be able to play the position. Yeah, I am. Okay. I'm not as much. I'll get to that coming up. I'm, we'll see. Uh, after the game, he was asked about how he felt. I don't know. Um, ben, I don't think I asked you for this cut, did I? So I'll just I'll just read it. Um, he said, I felt good at first base. I felt comfortable. Me and Dickie, that's Dickerson, the coach, have been working for a couple months now. It felt normal going out there, playing, just trying to slow it down as best as possible. Just play good baseball. Play the game, not play scared, right? Play the best game possible. I just want to be good for my pitcher, my infielders out there, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. Um, so he is, by the way, we, we've talked a lot about the lack of power this year, but he's hitting 294. he He's got an on-base of .388. Uh, he's got a slugging percentage 412. That's kind of low, but the OPS is is at .800. Um, to me, what he did last night, and what he has done, coming back from the injury as quickly and solidly as he does, that's why he's an MVP. Rob, that's that's why he's worth the contract. I think.
5: Yeah, and even though they lost last night, Glenn, it, it's plays like that that should probably jumpstart a team. That, that you know that that just give you a certain kind of jolt and energy. It, it's yeah, he's a look. He's a winner and he's a gamer and he's the kind of guy you want on your side. I mean, he's he is a foxhole guy. So. The fact that he's willing to make a play like that, like as much as we say, "Oh my God, he scares us to death." There are a lot of players that would wouldn't even have dreamed of doing that coming off of Tommy John surgery. He, yep. He's all in. I mean, always.
4: Absolutely. Two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four. We'll get to the calls in about five minutes or so, and we'll tell you everything else that we've got going on. But as we started with, they lost uh, third straight, and it was not a good start by Ranger Suarez, uh, who gave up two runs in a. Twenty-seven pitch first inning, and the bullpen. Uh, Junior Marte was kind of bleh. Uh, they twice. <laughs> that that was the official adjective, by the way. Bleh. They twice left the bases loaded without scoring. Uh, a little late life in the eighth inning. Actually, let's let's play this. Just to give people a little bit of a fun thing. Bryce Harper drew a walk. Up comes a guy who's been in a season long slump. J.T. Real Muto, and Philly's fans got a brief moment of hope with this. Here's a swing and a drive. Well hit to left. That
6: one is going to go as he pounds one over that 19-foot high wall. J.T. Real Muto with his 12th home run of the season. And it's a two-run shot, and it's a
4: 6-4 Cleveland lead. Okay. That was uh, that gave you some hope. And, and then – uh, my favorite current Philly, Bryson Stott, homers in the next at-bat to make it 6-5. to five. By the way, Rob, let me uh, just reiterate as I do every week, I think Bryson Stott is going to be a perennial all-star star player in this league. So. He
5: is a phenomenal player. He is well beyond his years. Uh, yes. you, know, you see the ability to hit with two strikes, spray it all over the field. Uh, nothing phases him. I, I, how do you not love Bryson Stott?
4: Yep. Uh, but then in the ninth inning, Harper, Real Muto, and Stott kind of go down quietly. And there's one other issue I do want to discuss, uh, and it's defense. And I guess we ought to just get into Trey Turner a little bit because there was this ground ball. Ben, again, I forget if I forgot to ask you this. Okay. There was this ground ball in the first inning. Cleveland, Ramirez singles for Cleveland. He steals second. Naylor gets on first on an infield single. Um, Well, here it is. Let's just play it. Ball's at a strike. Suarez delivers the pitch,
6: swung on, line, and off the backhand side of Turner's glove. Tried to pick it on one hop, could not, it got by him, and in to score is Naylor, and that will be scored an infield hit.
5: Yeah. Rob, (laughs) first of all, can we start with that's not a hit? That,
4: that was an infield hit as much as I'm going to be elected the sexiest man in America.
5: We need to stop this w- with scores, the, the, the home cooking with scores. We need to stop. And, and it's working both ways, Glenn. It, it's the, the, in that situation, Cleveland's trying to benefit their guy with a hit. And then it works the other way. Let's just say the Phillies are home and a play like that isn't made by Turner. You, you give him a hit because it isn't an error on Turner's you know, book. It's nonsense. That's See, a play I, I, a major leaguer has to make all day.
4: Okay, I view. I agree with your your last statement. Okay, that's a, that's a play the shortstop makes, and that's an error, and we see this every day, every single day. We'll get to Turner specifically in a moment, but plays that are clearly errors that are being scored hits. I don't think it's home cooking. I think it is a Rob Manfred league wide dictum. To try to show how they're getting more offense in baseball, we know that they wanted to get batting averages up this year. They wanted to show that the game is recovering offensively, and what better way to do it than having hey, look, another extra two, three hits a game that might have been
5: errors otherwise. Could That's be. what I think. Yeah, look, could be. I, I, don't even, I don't even care what the sources. is. I just, we, it's insulting to any fan watching. If you watch that play last night. It's got to be made. I'm sorry. It's got to be made, and it, it it should it should display like for me. Trey Turner's been doing this all year. I know. Like, we look at his offense. I think his defense has been horrible, horrible, all yeah. season. Yeah, he, he I has agree. he has been terrible. I mean, we it's to the point now where I think we just have to come to the conclusion that he ain't turning it around. Like this is kind of what it is.
4: All right. So wait, we got two things going here at the same time. I want to just finish the first. The first is nothing's an error anymore, and that's stupid. Yes. Right. We agreed. agree. And and baseball scoring has gotten so ridiculous to the point where it's it's virtually impossible to make an error. OK, uh, we have different base reasons for it. I actually do think it is something that has come down from above, which is we, we don't need errors. We need hits. That's what people come to see. hits. Um, secondly, yes, Trey Turner's offense has been excessively unimpressive. His defense is is really disappointing because these are not hard plays. That was not a hard play yesterday. That was, that was a line drive to the backhand, pick it up, scoop it, throw it to first, get the man out. Yeah. And he's not doing it. No. And it's, uh, you know, I I have been through this enough before that I'm not going to go the route of some of our colleagues. of like, Let's trade them. Let's get rid. I would undo the contract. Like, I, I'm, I'm going to. Say that you know, there are people who in his first year wanted Bryce Harper moved, and there are people who last year said Nick Castellanos is washed up. So, I've been down the road before, I'm not gonna go crazy and say dump the guy, but at the same time, I'm with you. Let's be honest and just say what a crappy year he's having.
5: Yeah, I mean, in some cases, you could say it's worse than Castellanos, uh, for sure. And, and even Castellanos, as much as he's not known for his fielding, came up big late in the season last year in the field. But, you know, even the play that Stott – you know, the, the misplay from Stott later, which cost them a run, Turner's not on second base mm-hmm. to get the force. Yeah. Like, he's just asleep. Mm-hmm. And and I get it. He's a very laid-back guy, and that's just who he is. I, like I, But it, it, it just adds to the frustration where sometimes it looks like maybe there isn't max effort. I'm with you. I'm not looking to trade him or anything like that. But I think we need to stop with the – hey, here comes the turnaround when he gets two hits in a game. Like, it's just not I've happening. Been
4: guilty. I've been guilty
5: of that. Me too. Well, but we all want it, it's right? like
4: you hope that, yeah. you're, oh, you're looking for the sign. There you look. A line drive to left. It's going to turn around.
5: Yeah. I mean, he got a triple last night. But still, I mean, there were – the how many th- – uh, the triple, if you look at it on the ledger, there's way more that he hurt you with last night than the triple helped. Yeah. Yeah, I
4: agree. It's been
5: disappointing.
4: Uh, let's talk to Drew to start the show. Drew, you're on with uh, Rob Ellis, Glenn Mac. Now, how are you?
7: Hey, good morning, guys. Um, so you, you already answered my question with uh, the last couple minutes because I was going to ask you guys like where are where you are on your patience meter with Trey Turner because I've exhausted my patience meter yeah. with him, uh, hundred games into the season. Um, You know, I I could care less about whether a hit is an error or a hit. I care so much more. I mean, like right now what I'm focused on is just how he continues to play both in the field and at the plate. I mean, his long loopy swing is like when is he going to like adjust his approach to hitting? It just seems ridiculous. I mean, he he just takes the same long loopy swing at every pitch. And, you know, these are the results. I, I don't get it.
4: Yeah, for a guy who plays his position, he should be two strikes, adjust year you know, and, and he's got good power for a shortstop, but he's not going to hit 40 home runs. A guy like that should be adjusting with two strikes on to do something uh, more productive.
7: Yeah, and, and uh, you know, let's get Castellanos back out of that three-hole because I mean, he's catching the trade-turner disease. It's the way he's hitting, <laughs> you know, these last few games, the way he's swinging, I mean, it's, it's like he's reverting back to last year. So, I mean... Uh, Andrew, yeah, how, you know, would do, how would
4: you do? How would you the top four or five of the batting order? What would you do right now?
7: I mean, guess a right hander say. Yeah, I mean, look, I, you know, I, I don't, I don't, you know, Schwarber's not a leadoff hitter. I'm, I'm in that camp. I mean, you know, I, I don't like him there, um, and uh, you know, so. But honestly, I, I don't have great answers because okay, I that's fine. I don't okay, like I, you I don't like guard. I don't like putting the pressure on Stott. I like how he is comfortable where he is. And all the moving him up and all that. But, well, um, you, gotta, you, you know, I got
4: somebody up at the top of the order. So, Rob Ellis, I will ask you.
5: All right. Let, let's go, uh, Stott. Let's go, Bohm. Let's go, Harper. Let's go, Castellanos. Man, Real Muto's killing him, too, even though he had the home run last night. Yeah, you got
4: to have – I mean, I'm not putting Schwarber lower than five.
5: I'd uh, probably go Schwarber five, and I'm not doing the righty-lefty thing. I know how obsessed they are. I'm just giving you – you know, just off the top mm-hmm. of my head. Yeah, yeah. And then I then I would follow that with uh, Real Muto. So, I, w- I would – that would be my, my order. I, I would – I, just to try it. He won't. But I mean that's that's I think would be very productive up top. You have it, look, you you could consider Bohm lower because he's such an RBI machine. I mean Yeah, the, the, I
4: would put Bohm lower. Yeah. I would occasionally give a shot to Marshy.
5: Yeah, I don't. I wouldn't mind that either. Look, I Marsh has had a very a good, good year, Yeah. Very good year.
4: He's having a good year and he and he runs better than most guys on the team. So he i not think about doing that. No, mm-hmm. right, one other thing I want to get to here, uh as we start. Um They are now in a three-way tie for the wild card with 65 games left to go. Arizona, San Francisco are the first two wild card teams right now. They're both a game and a half ahead of the Phillies. The Phillies, Cincinnati, and Miami all have pretty identical records. The Phillies actually have one less win, so I guess they're a slight – no, one less win, one less was. So it's percentage points, but it's the same uh, differential. Um, which means you've got 65 games to go, and it is a tight race among those five teams, 4-3. Phillies aren't going to catch the Braves, that we know. We are 10 days from the trade deadline. Rob Ellis, do we have clarity that Bryce Harper can play first base? Are you, Rob Ellis, in the Dave Dombrowski chair, going to go out and get a left fielder and put DH? Do you uh, say, I'm really not happy with the back end of my rotation? I need a pitcher. What's what's uh, what are you looking at as we approach the deadline?
5: Yes, can that be, be an answer? Yes, um, no, I would, uh, I am confident in Harper, and I would go out and get a, a left fielder with some pop, preferably a right hander, but that's not the end all be all. Oh, He's not I a right. The answer, my friend. Uh, yes, I. Oh, I the would... answer for all of your concerns, all my ills, my you're boy, going to cure I them am all. Am. All right, well, I, I, I am. well, not pitcher, but here's the guy. Yep.
4: And I've been pounding this drum with Jody McDonald and Mike Sielski for a month okay. or two or longer. Cody Bellinger is the guy. Yep. Cubs are seven and a half games out. Cubs are going nowhere. Cody Bellinger is on a one year deal. They, they actually have an option for next year, a mutual option at $12.5 that he's going to back out of because he's having a season he's going to make a whole lot more. He's got a 9.13 OPS. He keeps hitting home runs. He keeps stealing bases. He can play first base or outfield pretty much at gold glove levels. He has won a gold glove before. Mm-hmm. He's a guy. He was an MVP, had a serious injury a couple of years ago, took him time to get back. He's back. He's the guy. You would have to give up some substantial prospects. That's my number one not my only target, but my number one target.
5: I love him. And and here's why he's perfect. He's also an insurance policy, Glenn, if it if you yeah. <laughs> Harper becomes a butcher out there, yeah, which I don't right. think he will. He play first, and he's terrific yeah. first baseman. He plays an excellent first, then an excellent any any spot you want to throw him in the outfield. He's had an interesting career, right? I mean, MVP yeah. and yeah. then two thirty nine, one sixty five, two ten. He follows yeah, it up with that. Yeah. Right. And then he man, he's been awesome this year. So uh, he'd probably be number one. I also I'll give you one other name just as far as the fielders go, and then I'll get into I'll answer your pitcher question. But I like Adam Duval. I've always liked Adam Duval. Mm-hmm. And you know Boston's in a weird spot because they're in that nasty division. Yeah. You know, whereas most times, and and they're not.
4: It's tough for them to be a seller,
5: I, I, right? In the market that they're in.
4: Yeah. To
5: to wave you know the, the Wi-Fi, I mean they're right there. They're two and a half back of the of the wild card. That's the challenge when I say Duvall. So I, I I think it's probably not as likely but he would he would give you that pop and he can you know he can field left field he can he can play the field that's for sure
4: Hunter Renfro from the Angels is also a decent name i think Love I, the arm Yeah love the arm and he's got he's got some pop to him uh i appreciate that the conversation over the last couple of weeks is that you know it should they should go for Juan Soto They right, trade Andrew Painter for Juan Soto they by the way and we'll talk about Andrew Painter later and just feel horrible for the kid San Diego was never trading Juan no. Soto for Andrew Painter. No. And, how
5: kind and, of drunken dream is this? Well, the other part of the drunken dream is, so the trade was going to include Trey Turner, right? Didn't they just say, yeah. sign Xander Bogarts to play they short? Got,
4: well, they, and they got they got a million
5: short. Right, they, got they like moved Tatis to right on the field, field so he could yeah. play short. Uh, anyway.
4: moving all kinds of guys. The second baseman is a really good shortstop. Yeah, are moving guys all over the place. And now there's the Otani delirium. Right. Uh, realistically... I think the names we're mentioning are realistic and would help. I know some people even say Goldschmidt. I don't know how realistic that is. love Goldschmidt, but I, I don't know about that. So, uh, But we would love your thoughts on it because uh, we are going to talk about these things up until 1 o'clock today. Let me give you some other things. We're going to get into the Sixers nonsense from Joel Embiid's trolling to uh, James Harden's cryptic social media post <laughs> to Josh Harris being a huge nerd and giving the big FU to the Philadelphia fan base. Uh, We have uh, two greats joining us as the day goes on. Derek Gunn, your co-host on Jacob Media, is going to be with us at 11 o'clock. And Eric Kratz, uh, former Phil's catcher, broadcaster, Terrific guy, and he has uh, co authored a great book called The Tau of the Backup Catcher. We're going to talk to Eric Kratz at noon. We got uh, some TV to recommend, and we want to take your calls all day at 215 592 9494 and see what you have to say. By the way, just want to remind you that on Tuesday, August 8th, Ray Dinger and I are going to be at the Uptown Nower Performing Arts Center in Westchester. We're going to talk about Ray's new hot-off-the-press paperback. One last read. Going to get into the beginning of Eagles training camp and the NFL season ahead. Going to be a VIP reception at 6. Program starts at 7. For tickets, you can go to info at uptownwestchester.org. Looking forward to seeing everybody there. Rob Ellis is in for Mike Sealski. I'm Glenn Mack now on 94 WIP.
0: Call from Mom. Answer it. Call silenced.
4: Rob Ellis, Glenn Mack, now 94, WIP, 215-592-9494. So, Rob, oh, about 100 miles south, I guess it is, yesterday, there was celebration among NFL owners uh, when they formally got to push Dan Snyder out of their league. Um, and by the way, on, on the way out, they pinged him for a $60 million fine for a sex harassment case.
5: Yeah, the timing of the of the fine coming down was was interesting, right? Yeah. <laughs> and by yeah. the way, you talk about dropping the bucket, like the, that nickel that you have in your in your pocket is is the akin to what that sixty million dollars is after what he That's just made really yesterday. True.
4: That's I would say it's tip money, but I'm sure he's
5: a cheap. I'm tip sure right? he doesn't. Yeah, he just stiffs with his his server.
4: Well, yeah. and then here's the other thing. So they approved that franchise sold for six billion dollars, which of course. Significantly raises the value of every other NFL franchise. Rob Ellis, it's like the house next to you sold tomorrow for five million dollars.
5: Yeah, you're thrilled. You're an owner. Yeah, you're, you're doing backwards. Like baby. Yeah, our retirement is set. Yeah, I mean, this has never been more of a win-win. They get rid of him. You know, a, a guy who who figured out a way to drive that franchise into the ground, which was almost impossible. And and still got $6 billion. So it's yeah. the total win for the owners.
4: Yeah, well, and he's not exactly a loser anyway because no. he gets all that money. So there you go. But they got a new owner, Rob Ellis. And the new owner is a guy we are very familiar with. And that is Josh Harris, who owns the Philadelphia 76ers and also owns the New Jersey Devils. Now, I will tell you, I've never been a Josh Harris fan Uh, I don't particularly like the way he runs the Philadelphia 76ers, which we can get into in a moment. It has always bothered me to the core that a Philadelphia owner is also the owner of a team which is a rival of one of our very own franchises. The Devils are one of the Flyers' biggest rivals. I understand hockey not extremely relevant right now, but it could be. It may be. And when that happens, I don't like it it magnifies a hundredfold when he owns an NFL franchise that is a division rival of the Eagles. Am i alone here
5: with this? No, i ask yourself this Glenn, okay? When the Eagles and the Commanders play this year, and by the way they may be changing the name again, which is i, I don't blame them, just get rid of the name. No, any, it's a bad name, yeah. Any Snyder stink, just get it off. But ask yourself this, when these two teams play this year, and let's just take the game in Washington, which is October 29th, and the Commanders beat the Eagles in a tight one. And they go to a cutaway uh, of, of him in the box smirking or high-fiving or doing whatever Josh Harris does with his people. Is that not going to tick you off that much more? I mean, it's bad enough that the Eagles will have maybe potentially lost a game to a division rival, but it's, it's the Sixers' owner you know, being gleeful about it. Like, I'm, I'm sorry, that does bother me, and it does sound petty, and I don't care that I sound petty. If it, you, you hit the key note here, the rival, the R-word. If he owned the Chargers, would I care as much? Probably not. But he's right here in in the Eagles' backyard. He's right here in the Flyers' backyard. So, yes, that does mean more to me. And I know he's from there. I don't care. I care about what's here.
4: Allow me to get you a slight bit more annoyed then, my friend. So, uh, as this all came through, um, I'm not sure if this was Thursday or yesterday. I guess it was yesterday, right? Yes, it was yesterday. Okay, so, so yesterday... Uh, right after it happens, he calls into uh, the sports radio station down in D.C., of which I had the call letters, WTOP, I think is what it is. Yes. Okay. And they're doing the show from, you know, kind of, oh, actually, they're doing the show from the team's um, facility, I guess, or a bar right near it, Mm -hmm. and uh, uh, let's just play the call. The
6: new owner of the Washington Commanders (laughs) is supposedly on the line, Josh, you are live on Grant and Danny. We are having a party at Old Ox Brewery in Ashburn near the facility. There's a couple hundred fans listening and tens of thousands listening in D.C. How are you? Let's go. I'm just leaving the league meeting, and I knew there were a bunch of Washington fans there, and I just wanted to say hello. How are you guys doing? You all right? We're We're pretty good, sir. This is an all-time day in this town. We heard your opening comments. People have been emotional. How do you feel? You're the owner of a team you loved as a kid. (laughs) I'm super pumped. It's a great day. It's a great day for Washington football, and I'm ready to get to work. I'm heading your way. I want to get back to Washington, my hometown, and celebrate with you guys.
4: All right. Should we list the number of annoying things in that, all right? <laughs> uh, I'll go first, and then we'll take turns because okay. we could probably – we're only on until one, so we're going to have to do this quickly. The First thing that's annoying to me is let's get out. Yeah. Okay. I mean I, I it's it is, it is not a mature thing for me to do to make fun of somebody's voice and I recognize that and yeah. I should be better than that and I apologize for sinking to the level of making fun of a guy's voice but he's trying to show that he's excited and and it just somebody tweeted me yesterday with the perfect description of his voice. Is he sounds like the kid who bought everybody cupcakes in grade school so that they would become his <laughs> friend? And I, I'll, I'll look up and give credit <laughs> to the guy who tweeted it to me, but it's exactly
5: right. Yeah, it, it, he he like I know he buys I, beers for the room. Yeah, I'm ready to run through a wall. I don't know about you when I hear that. Yeah. Um, he he sounds to me, Glenn, like a Southern California surfer guy. Like who just got off a you know a tasty wave? Yeah,
4: like, you said that. I, yeah. I get a different view. Okay. okay,
5: that's what he sounds like to me. He sounds like a guy Spicoli who's from Huntington out of Beach. It. I get, I yeah. get,
4: the revenge of the nerds. Yeah,
5: so that's what he sounds like to me. But like it's it's so forced. Like it's so not him. And I I get where they're they're giddy in Washington. You got rid of just a nightmare. So I don't blame. The people at the bar, you know, at the restaurant, wherever they are, but like just listening to him, it sounds like when Nick Foles said, "Come on, let's make some noise, make some noise." Like that, you know, it's just like it's not you, dude. Yeah, you're trying to. Do you worry. like
4: when the uh, the host said, uh, "Well, hello, good day, sir." Sir,
5: the sir drove me nuts. Sorry. Like, dude, stop. <laughs> you know, you know, you could be happy, and that's a good get for you guys to get him to call in. Yeah. Sir is is a bit of an ass-kissy kind of move.
4: Yeah, okay. And listen, nice that he bought beer for everybody. You and I are in the air, and Jeff Lurie calls up and buys beer for everybody. We're not exactly
5: going to condemn the guy. So,
4: you know, fine gesture again. And like, as you said with um, uh, Dan Snyder losing $60 million, him buying beer for 500 (laughs) people is not exactly going to, you know, he's going to have to cut down on scotch and cigars. He's not Norm
5: running up a tab at Cheers where Sam's got to address it with him. I don't
4: think Right. He can sneeze that money out, and he's not going to feel it. Yeah. Um, and, of course, the most uh, annoying part of it was so thrilled to be owning the team in my hometown.
5: Right. Well, the other thing he said is, I, I'm coming to see you guys. Another. So you're going to be there for five minutes as opposed to the four minutes you spend in, in every city of the other franchises that you own. Like you're I'm not going to helicopter in and roll right back out.
4: I'm going to recall something. When I was on the air, oh, gosh, you know what? I had this circumstance. I'm going to take you back. Jody McDonald and I are on the air in 1994. I just started WIP. And Lori buys the team in 1994. Mm. And uh, they do the, the intro newser. And at the end of the newser, Lori, uh, they put him on the phone to call Jody and I. And, you know, we were, we were delighted. Right. I don't think we called him sir, mm. but we were delighted and told him how appreciative we were. And I still remember he said, hey, I'm one of you guys. I like hanging at the corner bar arguing football. <laughs> and he had his Jeff Lurie voice, which, you know, is not exactly Charles Bronson either. Um, and I think Jody and I probably, you know, yeah, sucked up a little bit. Sure, sure. <laughs> sure. <laughs> but here's the thing. And and Lurie learned this. And I don't know if Josh Harris is ever going to learn this. Lurie learned. Lurie, so we did a WIP event either that year or the next year, with the Eagles, and Laurie was out and he's throwing footballs to the crowd and he's, you know, just being one of the guys. And right. I think then then the Eagles lost a few games and Laurie would go out and people would boo. And I think Laurie learned quickly enough, you know what? I can appreciate the fans. I can do everything I want to make life good for the fans, but I really can't get myself lost in a crowd of fans because I'm really not and yeah. I can't pass as it. And he stopped trying, mm-hmm. and he doesn't do it anymore. Josh Harris did to me the most unconvincing thing. Let, let's play one more soundbite. This is Josh Harris yesterday. This was, uh, Dan, this is the newser where he's, uh, they, they call him up, and he's kind of talking about it. And by the way, I heard Howard say this earlier, and Howard's correct. This is, should be the most impromptu statement ever, and he's reading it off a piece of paper.
8: To our team and the incredible fan base in Washington, a new era of Washington football is here. It's time to get to work.
5: Okay. There's a little Cole Hamels in there, too. A little bit? Yeah.
4: (laughs) So, I'm losing focus of what I want to say because I'm making fun of the guy, and again, I should be better than that.
5: No, I mean, the point of it is, Look, he's got all the money in the world. He's an incredibly successful businessman. It's smart to invest in the NFL. Nobody's arguing any of that. But if you're a Sixers fan and you're a Philadelphian, it's got to annoy you that to your left, he owns one team. To your right, he owns another team to some degree.
4: That's the thing. I can't trust him as owner of the Sixers. I can't trust him as – I like – Listen, Laurie came from Massachusetts, and yeah. Laurie's first choice was not to buy the Eagles. He wanted to buy the Patriots. Mm-hmm. He ended up with the Eagles. But what Laurie did is he moved here. He became a huge part of the community. He's involved in everything. He's, this team is his team. This is this is it. This is his business. It's now the family business. This is what he invested in, and he's done a damn good job. Yep. I don't feel that Josh Harris is looking out for us. And I can't feel that Josh Harris is looking out for, out for us. When, as you say, I'm going to turn on an Eagles Commanders game, and I'm going to see him yunking it up in the Washington uh, 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 box. Yeah, that double stadium. Yep. Right. I, I and I and I and I can't abide it, and I don't. I don't want him as the owner of my team in this town. When he's owning the Devils and he's owning
5: Washington, it yeah. just it just strikes well, me as wrong. You know, the other thing is he, as much as he is willing to spend, and I will give him that, he spent a lot of, you know, he paid Darryl Morey a lot of money, Doc Rivers, and I'm sure he's paying Nick Nurse a lot of money, and that's all well and good. He, just because you spend doesn't mean you know how to spend. He's not a good owner, at least with the Sixers. I'll, I'll just go by the Sixers. I'm not going by the Devils or any of these other investments. So Washington is getting out from under Snyder, but it doesn't mean this guy's going to be a good owner owner long-term. I don't think you're going to have the dysfunction in the front office and some of the other really bad, nasty stuff that went on. But ultimately, it doesn't matter. Glenn, let me just share one thing about Jeffrey Lurie, too, just to to your point, where he's really made himself a Philadelphian. I know that you have have hosted several of these sort of Q&As that that Ray does with his Tommy and Me plays, right? Yeah. Okay. I I was fortunate enough to do that as well, and this was around 2019. It was right before the pandemic hit. It was – year before that I believe so uh, I I was the, the, the Q&A person Jeffrey Lurie happened to be there that night um and and stayed for the play and and didn't have to do this but went down and sat with the with the cast and myself and answered every question every Eagles fan had mm-hmm. which I thought was a really cool thing and mm-hmm. and it just it just spoke to the connection and he kept reiterating man I love Ray's play I didn't know some of the history here I love you know being a part of this team and Whatever. I, I, but that just showed me, like, this guy's in. He could have just rolled as soon as that thing ended, but he didn't. And he wanted to stick around and interact with the fans in a great way. So, anyway, I just want to
4: that. He's fully committed. He's fully in. Yep. John Middleton is fully committed to it, right? Yes. I believe that. I think the Flyers have had that the problem since Snyder passed away that they weren't. And I think they have finally recognized that. Now they've got a guy in charge, Dan Hilferty, who I think, as a local guy who gets it, is going to try to get them back to that position. I never get that sense with Josh Harris. This is a toy for him. Yeah. This is another one of his many, many investments. He's got a soccer team, too. That's fine. And by the way, soccer teams over in another country, knock yourself out. Yeah. I don't care. But don't own rivals. Don't own the teams that we hate. I mean, I'll take it one step further. Could you imagine if John Middleton bought the Dallas Cowboys?
5: Exactly. You tell How me you, you wouldn't have a problem with that? that. Right. Just because Washington's been kind of irrelevant of late, let's not forget it wasn't all that long ago they beat an Eagles team in the playoffs, you know, the Buddy Ryan years. They 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 had dominated the NFC East for a good stretch in the 80s. Like, they come back and he's in your face and cheering against your team. How are you going to feel about that?
4: I hate it. I hate the whole thing. All right. Well, that was merely the prelude warm up to our Philadelphia 76ers (laughs) angst, because coming up, we're going to talk a a little bit about the week in Philadelphia 76ersville, which just gets uh, weirder and weirder and more dysfunctional. And I want to see how you feel about that. Uh, We threw out the Phillies to begin with do you have a sense of what you thought about Bryce Harper last night at first, Rob's pretty convinced that he will be able to play the position. I think I'd like to see more than nine innings before I jump on that. Uh, you have any thoughts about who you would like to see them pick up at the trade deadline or concerns that you have? We both kind of, uh, gave our disappointment in what we've seen out a Trey Turner so far. And this, this thing, you know, maybe I do think people care about the owners, uh, See if you do as well. 215 592 9494. He's Rob Ellis in for Mike Sealski. I'm Glenn now on 94 WIP. Rob Ellis, Glenn Macknow, 94 WIP. Um, 11 o'clock, we're going to talk to Derek Gunn. Yep. Your, your partner on Jacob Media uh, because training camp is a couple days away. Does it sneak up on you? Does it feel.
5: No, it did not. No. I, I count down well, the days. Well, that's because you
4: do, you do that. You did like <laughs> f- that football stuff every day, right? Yeah, I can't wait.
5: Honest How do to you God. Stretch that through June? You got to really dig in. You got to dig down deep <laughs> to places you, do, you don't want to think about.
4: I want places like we that don't podcast. talk about at parties, Glenn. Right. Yes. All right. Uh, let, so uh, let me just take a minute because I, w- I want to get into the Sixers dysfunction, but I'm I'm just curious for people who don't know. You do a show with Derek on yeah sports take. on J- yep. Jacob Media called um,
5: shoot, Sports Steak. There you go. Sports Stake.
4: Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, and it is it's eagle centric, right?
5: It's eagle centric. We hit everything, but it is definitely, I would say, majority of it is eagles for okay. sure. Okay.
4: Yep. Because I know Jody does the Eagles three sixty five show on there.
5: That's all eagles. What he does. Yeah. We do. We do more of a broader, you know, okay. scope. But it's it is definitely uh, the majority of the three hours is eagles. I would say. Okay. So
4: you know, you you have the season, then yeah. you have the postseason, then you have the free agency, then you have the draft. And then you make up stuff?
5: You've done every iteration of power rankings. You've done every, what is your biggest concern?
4: Who do you have the most confidence
5: in? Which unproven player uh, will step up the most? Which uh, older veteran may decline a bit? Uh, how much time do you have? No, we, no, can we be ahead. here till about four?
4: Sounds like you're way ahead of it. Good. We've done good. a lot of that. But, uh, but the but, good news with I'm Derek excited. coming on yeah. today is we are a mere couple of days away from training camp. So actually, the stuff becomes real. Yeah. So we'll get into that with him uh, at the top of the hour. But the Sixers are just becoming increasingly tiresome, uh, annoying. What, what what word do you want to use?
5: I have Sixers fatigue. Uh, i I, uh, I find them um uh, chore like an annoyance uh mm-hmm. it, it, it's it's not about like at the end of the day ultimately sports should be fun and entertaining to some degree you're going to go through heartbreak there's going to be angst and all that but with this team it's more about the drama and everything that goes on off the field or off the court yeah. than it is with what happens on the court
4: all right, so let's review what we've been through over the past couple of weeks. Uh, and I have not talked to you in a while, so I am eager to hear your thoughts on kind of many of these steps along the way. Joel Embiid stirred the pot a couple of weeks ago. He was in an interview at a Los Angeles film festival. I'm not sure how that came to be. But he was asked what, he expect, what, what we can expect from him moving forward, and he said, I just want to win a championship, whatever it takes. I don't know where that's going to be, whether it's Philly or anywhere else. I just want to have a chance to accomplish that. And, of course, all anybody heard was Philly or anywhere else. Uh, And then he said, it's not easy. It takes more than one, two, three guys. You've got to have good people around you. So, of course, everybody in our town kind of had their head blow off that day. And then he puts out a tweet. A day or two later saying, oh, I'm just kidding. I like to (laughs) troll. That's what I do. Okay. Now you have uh, James Harden. And Harden and Daryl Morey, the general manager, now appear to be in a death stare.
5: Yeah,
4: Uh, Harden is going the route of a nine-year-old. He went to social media and took the name of his team
5: off. Scrubbed.
4: Uh, scrub. Good. We've seen that before. Yep. And then yesterday he posted... And I will go to you for interpretation. Been comfortable for so long, it's time to get uncomfortable. Along with, by the way, four pictures of him that I I don't know what the what they were about. Um it's almost like when they want to do the thing to make sure you're not a robot on a computer, and they say put a put a check yeah. on yeah. the square that's <laughs> yes. like not a
5: lamppost. Yes, I recognize okay. the stop sign. Yeah.
4: Yes. Okay. Well, one of them was him giving the finger. I don't know if it was to us or the world or somebody Daryl yeah. but the, or Daryl Morey. Yeah. 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 So we're we are now in the phase of the game, Rob, with the cryptic social media posts and the passive aggressive BS and the propaganda leaks from the GM all of which is designed to get him to the Clippers and make us feel miserable. Your thoughts?
5: Probably my favorite thing about 2023 uh, and, and where we've devolved as human beings is trying to decipher these cryptic tweets and every little thing that these maniacs do on social media. That's probably my favorite part of, of, mm. of where we've gone in, the, in this world. But I think a couple things. One, I don't think Embiid was trolling. It's utter nonsense. I think he was doing two things, Going because I think he's very calculated and very smart, by the way. I think he was doing two things. One, it was bracing everybody for this maybe the last year before I start chirping that I won out. Two, it was his way of, I think, at least nudging the organization to bleep or get off the pot when it comes to Harden. I I think that's what it was, in in my opinion. But as far as Harden goes, yeah. Hold hold on, because
4: I I think you're right, and I think we always hope that somebody like him who comes is going to be a career guy and he is somebody by the way i think really does love Yeah, i do too and and really has been great with the fans and is just one of the most fun players we've had pass through town in any sport in the last 25 years and i am getting the sense that it's all going to end in disappointment and
5: heartbreak it rarely doesn't in that league now some guys play their whole career somewhere and, and whatever but that usually is accompanied by them winning championships if you don't Then it becomes even a a Damian Lillard situation where you've been in Portland, it feels like forever, and you want out. It's it's an eventuality in that league oftentimes. And look, I think he sees the writing on the wall like we do. You know, he knows he's likely not going to be a super effective player into his mid-30s. So the clock's ticking. And he always has longed for Jimmy Butler, too. Just keep that in mind. It doesn't mean he's necessarily going to get to Miami, but... You know, he's not happy with, with what's been put around him. And I don't blame him. You know, they haven't done a good job of. I don't blame him. I don't blame him either. Uh, right. So I didn't have as big a problem with the or elsewhere than, that some people did. I, I think there was, there was certainly meaning behind it. But I didn't have a big issue with that part of it. Um, Harden, this is w- what the playbook is. He, he's going down the exact route that all these guys go. You do the social media nonsense because you, because you feel like you're at a, an impasse. With the Sixers. He knows Maury isn't afraid of playing the long game. And he oh, wants yeah. out. He doesn't want to wait till September. He doesn't want to wait till October or when the season starts. He wants to push this thing. And that's what he's doing now. This is just the first of, uh, first two steps of what's going to be a four- or five-step plan that we're about oh, to see. Oh, yeah. fun. Oh, good time. But so, it's all the more reason why they're exhausting.
4: It, they are exhausting. Uh, do you believe that the Clippers have any real interest in bringing back James?
5: Here's why I do. Um, I think that owner... Is about star power. He's he's a bit of a maniac himself, Balmer, and I think that you, he could be a guy that you could coax or convince that, Sorry, to. Did you ever see that video of him dancing? Yeah, he's out of his mind. But to watch him during games, I mean, he he needs to be strapped oh, in. He, he's, he's he's out of his mind. Yeah, it was yeah. awful. Um, it, it, yeah, it's cringeworthy. But I think that that if you're the problem is it's it's like a negotiation <clears throat> right now, and the Clippers. Are, giving, are willing to give you nothing, and Daryl Morey wants Norman Powell, Terrence Mann picks. And when they get to somewhere in the middle, it's going to happen. I do believe it's going to happen because I think Morey knows Harden well enough to know, I can't start the season with this guy. I can't do this to Nick Nurse.
4: So you think it'll happen before October? I do. I'd bet no. We'll see.
5: Most people don't, but I do.
4: Yeah, I bet no. Let's see what Warren and Gwinnett Valley has to think about it,
9: Warren. Yeah, the, I think the word for the Sixers is uh, polarizing. What do you What do you think? You well, love polarizing you
4: mean know. has to mean that some people are delighted with it. So who's the, the process
5: was polarizing. I think now it's fatigue.
4: Yeah, fatigue is. Uh, exa- How about exacerbated? It's a good way to. put I'll it. go with that. Yeah, that's a good one, right?
5: Good, good Ex- word. Exacerbated How you doing, or Glenn? exhausting? You
4: doing okay? Are we doing okay? Yeah, we you. Were-, I, we're doing great. You family's good. Excellent. Excellent. Nice. I, I'm glad that you're
0: healthy, too. I know you've been struggling.
4: Oh, yeah, I appreciate that. I've had. Yeah, I, well, it's not health health. It's like various parts of my body just break. So, yes, <laughs> just break. Back, well, I, you know, I, I, I tore a uh, disc in my back and I have 10 knee surgeries and I have a broken wrist at various oh. points
5: and other time, man.
4: Rob Ellis, I no, These started when I was 25. Since I've been 25 years old, I have had 18 surgeries on my body. So oh my yes, God. but Yes, but fortunately, none of them for, like, vital organs. All of them are for, you okay. know. Just, I, I run like the Tin Man, but I appreciate it. Hey, you're after. still He's going. It's all guy. that matters. All right. Coming up, we will bring on a guy who is a bastion of health and vitality. That would be Derek Gunn uh, to talk about the Eagles' upcoming season. We'll take your calls at 215 592 Rob Ellis, Glenn Mack. Now, hey, bring on the summer heat. With huge savings when you replace your old, inefficient windows and doors with the good people at Guida Door and Window. Right now, Guida is offering the best discounts of the year with their big 40% off summer sales event on all expertly installed windows and doors. You have drafty windows you've been meaning to replace? Well, you receive 40% off each window you buy. That's right. 40% off all high-performance, energy-efficient, triple-pane windows. You need a new doors? Well, Guide has got you covered there as well with forty percent off all high quality entry doors, patio doors, garage doors, and storm doors like the one I have at my house. Plus You can start your project with no money out of pocket. You can pay it off interest-free for up to 12 full months. Don't let these big, incredible savings pass you by. Go Guida right now so you can take advantage of these limited-time savings. All prior sales excluded. Offer expires July 31st, so call Guida today. Schedule a free in-home estimate at 1-877-GO-GUIDA or visit them at goguida.com. That's go, G-U-I-D-A.com. Uh, we all remember that from early last season. We're going to get into that in just a moment, but let me introduce our guest. Derek Gunn is co-host of Sports Take on the Jacob Sports Media YouTube channel Monday through Friday, uh, noon to 3, along with our pal Rob Ellis right here in Barrett Brooks. And he is, among many other things, the host of the Gun on One podcast, uh, which is very, very well done. You can watch on Jacob Media platform or listen wherever you listen to your podcast. Derek, let me start you off with a question before I even ask how you're doing. I did a trivia, uh, excuse me, a Twitter poll yesterday where I asked people who would lead the Eagles in rushing this current season. Sixty-two percent of them said it would be the aforementioned DeAndre Swift. Do you agree?
10: Oh, that, that's a good question. Um, I, I'm leaning that way. I had just said to Rob on our show the other day that if, if I had my way, I would. I would run Penny between the tackles. He's the bigger back. You don't know how long you're going to have him, but I would use him to soften up a defense more. Um, but um, I, yes, I, I'm leaning towards yes. I would. I, I don't think the Eagles will have a thousand-yard rusher, but I would say Swift would have the most yards in terms of uh, rushing yards. Yes.
4: Yeah. I right, just I have a quick follow-up. Um, I believe that the Eagles are going to lead the NFL in rushing. And not have a single rusher, including the quarterback, over seven hundred yards. Ooh. Um I I agree.
10: I'm inclined to agree with that. I was I said closer to eight hundred.
11: Yeah, maybe um, eight
10: hundred. Yeah, but I do believe if if the very worst, they will be one of the top three teams rushing in the NFL. What did they finish last year? Fifth, fifth in rushing, I believe it was right um, around the top. I, yeah, yeah, I believe that They will be one of the top three rushing teams overall, because, but because of the diversity. In that backfield, uh, I don't think anybody will get close to a thousand yards as a rusher.
5: interesting. Uh, yeah, they were. they were fifth in fact. Uh, they averaged uh, 147.6 per game uh, did the Eagles. So Gunner, l- l- let's look at it. Do you think this is the model to where the league's going to go? the the multiple cheaper I mean we're already seeing you know with the the issues with the running backs in general, but less of the workhorse guy and more of what the Eagles are doing here at the running back position?
10: Yeah, there's very, there's very few teams left that have a so-called feature back. You look at Tennessee, you look at an Indianapolis. Most of the teams um, have the dual, the dual running backs or multiple running backs. If you look at um, what New England did for so long and look at how many you know middle-of-the-road type running backs they would bring in, and that was, that was their success. One was a runner, another one was a pass catcher for them. And I think that is the model now which is unfortunate for running backs because it's diluting their wealth, uh, their worth in the national football league. And as we've seen over recent weeks, you know, they are now coming together and speaking out on, look, you know, we put our bodies on the line as blockers, runners, you know, you ask us to do a lot of things and everybody else is getting paid, but us now, you know, the fact that Miles Sanders got the contract he got in Carolina, I'm still sitting here shocked that Carolina gave him that type of money. But um, yes, I, I do think, the multiple running back. You look at look at Kansas City. You know they they found their niche doing that. The Eagles have done it for years, um, and, and so I do believe that's the current model in the NFL today.
4: I do as well. And uh, the Eagles are spending I think about six million dollars combined for all for DeAndre Swift and Rashad Penny and that's Kenny unbelievable. Gainwell. And Boston Sky. Yeah, it's, it's terrific value. Meanwhile, Saquon Barkley, and that, listen, I understand where he's coming from, and you kind of alluded to it. Look what he has done coming back for that franchise. Yes. feels he gets no appreciation. Uh, how do you think that plays out there in New York?
10: Um, you know, talking to people that I know in New York and, and reading a lot of stories coming from out of New York, you know, the consensus seems to be that you know, the the relationship between Saquon and, and the Giants could come to a crashing end at the conclusion of this season. I don't see Saquon missing any paychecks. Um, he may hold out for, you know, much of training camp. I don't see him missing any paychecks. But I think at this point, the relationship has been, been severed. You know, Saquon came out earlier this year and talked about, hey, look, I'm not the one leaking information about what's going on behind closed doors. They are. And then, of course, the organization scrambled and had a conversation with them. And we also heard the story that Saquon had a meeting back in the spring with, with management, and they felt that a deal would be done. And all of a sudden, here they are. July 17th comes and passes, and nothing's done. Um, I, I think Saquon will be looking for a new home next year. Now, the Giants could franchise them again after this season. Uh, I think that would be a bad move on their part if they tried to do that. So based on what I've read, people I've talked to, uh, Saquon Barkley could be looking for a new home at the conclusion of this
5: season. Yeah, it's uh, that there. It's this is good stuff for the Eagles because he's unhappy and Zach Martin's unhappy in Dallas. He's Zach Martin could be the best guard in football and he's making seven million a year. So these are these are good signs for the Eagles. By the way, Gunner, tell me why the Eagles will buck the trend. Why will they be the team that? follows up winning the division, that is able to get back to the Super Bowl when so many haven't been able to do it basically in in terms of the Mm -hmm. NFC East in 20 years almost?
10: The last couple of years, the NFC in general has been weighed down in overall talent, which is shocking. Never seen anything like this. And kudos to Howie Roseman for assembling a team as deep and as versatile as he has last season and again this year. Now, obviously, the young kids have to step up and prove their mettle. Uh, you, got, you got a couple of guys who I refer to, Rob, as you know, as redshirt freshmen. You know, and Nicobe Dean, Jordan Davis, uh, guys like that who were waiting in the wings for their chance. And now their chance has arrived. Um, we, as we sit here today, still shocked they were able to get Fletcher Cox, James Bradbury back here in the fold. Even uh, Brandon Graham, after rumors we heard that he could go back home to Detroit, Cleveland was interested. But lo and behold, here they are. So they have by far more talent overall than anybody else in their division and i would say that if you look at them on paper across the board on both sides of the football who has more talent than they do on both sides of the football the only question mark rob i hate to tell you this because i know how this sticks in your cross the special teams play you know and we saw the special teams play rear its ugly head in the super bowl um can they can they shore up the special teams play does that entail using more veterans on special teams but in terms of just offense and defense, I don't. there's not a better offense overall, more explosive offense in the NFC than the Eagles. If the defense can get enough turnovers to get the offense back, they will win the division and would have to be the favorite to win the conference again to get back to the Super Bowl.
4: Are we going to watch that same damn punter?
5: That's, Glenn, that's my trigger word, SIPOS.
10: Glenn, right? hey Glenn, Glenn I, I stoke his fire every chance uh, I
4: well, get about oh. that punter. It oh. would seem the <laughs> easiest thing to replace, and I don't think they've done anything
10: to replace him. I don't get it. All right. Well, they well, they have a they have a rookie in camp that they would like, but I don't know if the rookie is going to beat out, you know, Sipos. Yeah. And from, from what I'm hearing, Sipos right now is the odds-on favorite to beat a punter when they start the season. That's great. Uh, we are
4: talking to Derek Gunn. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at real d gun g u n n. He is, of course, a uh, TV host, a uh, a host with Rob on. Uh, Jacob Media and the world's greatest grill master. So when <laughs> camp opens, Derek, and everybody gets their first chance to talk, I, I guess Sirianni, maybe Howie, will we ever get an answer on what happened with the Cardinals and the tampering with Jonathan Gannon?
10: I don't think so. Um, I, I think question's going to be
4: asked. How how are they uh, going to How are they going to answer it? How are they going to evade the answer?
10: Um, Howie was Howie was on somebody's podcast. Rob, you know, fill me in here. Whose podcast was Howie on back in June? Um, was it Dan Patrick?
5: Uh, it was New Heights, I think. Wasn't it with Jason Kelsey and Travis?
10: Did he was on that one, but he also did a one-on-one. I believe it was with um, um, Mike Florio. That's what uh, it was. PFT. He did it, he, yep, yep. He did the one with Florio, and Florio tried his best to get an answer from Howie, and Howie tap danced around it. And I don't think. You will ever get a definitive answer on exactly what happened. Um, from what I what i heard in listening to how he talked to Florio was, we're letting sleeping dogs lie. That's in the past. We're moving forward. Mm. I don't think, I don't think that you'll let, that thing will ever come to light. I think they've buried that as, as much as they can. What do you think happened? I think there was discussions that shouldn't have, shouldn't have taken place, and you know, they got eventually got caught. But you know, Glenn, as you know. Everybody does it. You know, players you know, you, you when it gets to December and early January, sure. games are over, players meet at the hey, you know, tell your coach I'm available free agency. Discussions happen all the time. But it's the question a, is do yeah.
4: you think it affected Gannon's concentration or no.
10: work uh no, leading no. up to the game? And
4: or during no. or in the second half,
10: damn it. No. No. I, I don't <laughs> think so. I think he's professional. You know, Rob Rob will tell you, I'm not a big Jonathan Gannon fan, but I think he's professional enough to, to have focused on the biggest game of his career. Um and being in in that Super Bowl. I think it came down, he basically he just got outboxed and outcoached by a better coach than Andy Reid. It was that simple. Now we heard CJ G J say that we weren't put in position to make plays, but you know what? There were a number of times you were. You didn't make the tackles, you missed the open field tackles, you missed the coverages. Um scheme is one thing. You know, you you've got to be able to make plays no matter what happens. They didn't make enough plays. Anytime an offense scores on every possession in the second half, that's more than just scheming. Yeah. It comes down to more than just scheming. They scored every possession they had in the second half.
5: That's personnel also. Yeah. It's, it it was a just a bad combination in that second half, that's for sure, Derek. Uh here's the question I have for you. How long I think the offense hits the ground running? How long before the defense catches up here with all the new faces, N'Kobe Dean, Jalen Carter, Jordan Davis getting extended time, you know, Reed Blankenship, we could go on and on and on. How long until they get caught up and they're able to handle that that juggernaut after the uh, bye week?
10: I would say at the most, Rob, a, a couple of games because you, you have enough veteran presence there to to help, you know, groom the young guys that are taking their roles. You know, it's unfortunate with the, the minuscule training camps as we know them now, you're not going to see the front-line guys in preseason games, and everybody does it now, so I don't have any any gripes about that. But I do think when you get up to game speed, the young guys, their heads are going to be swimming a little bit, um, and it's going to take them a while. Um, I think they're athletic enough and talented enough to to settle in. You know, they always talk about sometimes it takes four to five games to settle in. I think in this case – the, the offense will be able to carry the defense enough to cover up whatever deficiencies that we see early on. But I don't, I'd don't. i be surprised if it took more than a couple of games for the defense to finally settle in and we get a definitive look in terms of what Sean Desai and Matt Patricia want to run as a defensive coordinating unit.
4: Derek, probably the biggest, uh, maybe the biggest concern on offense. I don't think there are a lot of big concerns on offense is right guard position with Isaac Sayamalu leaving and Cam Juergens as the heir apparent. Ray was with us last week and said, you know, you got a center the size of Kelsey. Cam Juergens is not big. It's interesting, he's 6'3", 303, but I appreciate that that's not big by, you know, standards of NFL offensive line. He said that push up the middle could become worrisome. Do you agree with that? And if so, do you see maybe somebody other than Juergens gets that job?
10: Um, that, that could be a problem early on. Um, I do know the Eagles want to give Juergens every opportunity possible to solidify that spot, um, and, and he's going to get that opportunity. Um, technique-wise, ability-wise, uh, there's no question he can handle the task. Uh, you know, being under the tutelage of Jeff Stoutland, is he big enough to push against these big D tackles? That we're going to find out. You know, I was talking to Rob about the few times we got to see him step in at center. He was quite impressive getting off the snap, getting to the second and third levels, opening holes for running backs to continue down the field on. Playing at right guard positions a little bit more. Your assignment's a little bit different. But I do think he has the talent. But there's a reason why they drafted Steen in the second round. You know, and how long does it take for him to get up to speed to the comfort level where Stoutland says, okay, we're going to put you back as a backup center, Jergens, and now we're going to put Steen in there. Um, that remains to be seen. You know, Jergens may be able to hold that spot all season long, um, but it's going to be an interesting battle, interesting competition to see exactly how it unfolds. And, and I'm not guaranteed that what we see initially early in the season is what we might see at the end of the season.
5: Derek, does Nick Sirianni get the credit he deserves for what he's done the first two years here?
10: Yeah. That's a great question, you know, Rob, because especially last year, Nick Sirianni's presence was so overshadowed by the accomplishments of what this team was doing. This offense just up and down the field, explosive offense, a defense uh, that, that 76, you know, was one of the top teams in turnovers. Uh, it was almost like the, the head coach was an afterthought. Right, because,
5: which is so you know, rare in that league.
10: It, it is. Um, I, I think – he should get more credit considering what he took over when he came here and he turned that first year around into a 9 and 8 season and then the second year as was as was the case with Doug Peterson led that team to a super bowl came within 3 points of winning a super bowl i think he should get more credit i'm not going to say people are totally dismissing his presence there because obviously he's the architect of everything that goes on there but i do think i do think he was in the shadows of the overall success of what this team accomplished uh, last season.
4: All right, last one for me. And I know Rob kind of asked this, but I just want to move back to a little bit. And uh, my my regular Saturday partner, Mike Sielski, wrote a, a very frightening column on this uh, the other day, which is how hard it is to get back to the Super Bowl, particularly teams that lose in the Super Bowl. The 1970 Cowboys and 2017 Patriots are the only two other teams to lose the Super Bowl and bounce back to win it the next year. Five other teams have reached the Super Bowl in consecutive seasons but lost both times. I think they're all the Buffalo Bills, uh, but, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Dad. If my dad's listening, Dad, sit down and have a cup of coffee. Um, They know that, right? Everybody knows that. Howie knows it. Nick Sirianni knows it. Everybody knows it. How are? How do you think they approach it so that they don't continue that trend?
10: I think they have enough veteran presence in that locker room, Glenn, to keep these guys even keel. Um, the Lane Johnsons, the Brandon Grahams, the Jason Kelseys, uh, those, uh, the, the Fletcher Coxes, those guys are the vocal points uh, of this team, and they're very verbal about, hey, we haven't done anything yet, okay? And it's a week-to-week grind, and this is going to be a much tougher grind this year because of a much tougher schedule compared to a season ago. I don't. Th- I, one thing I love about the nucleus of this team is they don't get too high, they don't get too low, and it starts with that quarterback. Their quarterback could be the consummate poker player. You don't know what he's thinking when things are going bad. His emotions don't get the best of him when things are going great. He just tells you, hey, look, that's today. Tomorrow's a new story. And that's the perfect demeanor you need on a journey this team is going to take in 2023. Um, And I think you couple in the fact that this conference in general is such a huge question mark. You know, it's unlike anything we've seen in the NFC in, in, in years gone by, Glenn. You know, Minnesota, you know, can Kirk Cousins, you know, overcome not being able to win a big game? Is Detroit for real? is Derek Carr a big difference down in New Orleans? You know, uh, is Dallas legit? And I do believe Dallas is going to challenge the Eagles for that divisional title. But it goes back to what I said earlier. I know, but it goes back to what I said earlier. In terms of just overall talent on both sides of the football, there is no team more talented on, on paper than the Philadelphia Eagles. If they can stay as healthy as they did last season, I fully expect them to be right there at the end.
5: All right, I got one more, Glenn. I want to sneak in for Glenn, for, uh, for Derek here. You know what a weirdo I am in general, but especially when it comes to food. Uh, I am a basic. I think, weird, I think weirdo is an understatement. It's kind. I'm being kind. Uh, but I'm a burger dog guy on the grill. What's As someone who is a grill master, as Glenn called you off the top, what is the most challenging thing for you on the grill in terms of food to get it right? Oh, my goodness. Wow. Uh, in terms of getting it right. Care how long you know, you know, attention where you can't really walk away, you know, any of those kind of things. I, I got an I would, answer I, when
10: I, he's done. Okay, I would, I would say it would have to be certain cuts of steak mm. because I have, I have multiple people in the house that like their steak different. You know, some like a medium well, some wanted a little bit more towards medium. And when you have four or five steaks on a grill at one time. You know, you have to watch. You have to pay attention. And, and you know, especially when you buy, like, the big tenderloins like you get at a Costco or a BJ's and you cut them yourself in different degrees of thickness, you have to pay closer attention to them. Um, and so I would have to say if, if out of all the different meats that I've ever done on grill, either grilling or smoking meat, I would say steak is, is, is one that, that you really pay attention to.
4: All right, that's a fine answer. <laughs> My answer is, and I don't know if you could, is fish uh, really? or shellfish. Yeah, because it's not done, and then it's overdone. you got to be really careful to get it off at the right time. I find that the most challenging. Um, you don't I, I don't like rubber shrimps, and the thing uh, is yeah, that like, yeah. they're not there, and then all of a sudden, like, oh, damn, I sneezed, you know, blew my nose, and everything's overcooked. <laughs>
10: Well, I, I would tell you, Glenn, this: that uh, in most cases with shrimp, um, especially the bigger ones, I, might, I would subscribe to it, especially if I'm cooking them on an open flame. No more than two minutes on each side. You know, oh, and I you agree. Be, yeah, I, I, and, and you should. I agree. I'm able, just saying
4: it, That's that's the challenge.
10: Yeah. I, it, but I think nine times out of ten, if you subscribe to that that um, um, description, that you'll you you'll be pleased with the end result.
4: Derek, when you're ready to do the grilling podcast, give me a call. I would love to uh, have the honor of, of hanging out with you, you know, with barbecue aprons and all that. Tongs and do hands. it. It'll be I fun. would love to do it. All right, cool. That's good. All right, man. Always a pleasure. Derek Gunn, follow him on Twitter at Real D gun, uh, and watch him uh with Rob Ellis all the time.
10: Thanks. Be well, man. Hey, you guys have a great day. Thanks for having me
4: on. All right. will see you there. There you go. He's
5: great the best, guy. man. What what a what an awesome human being he
4: is for real. He is. He's a terrific guy. Oh. Terrific guy. Oh, I should have told him. The cutest grandkids in the world. Oh, my it, God. Uh, yes. Yeah, I, I get
5: to see them sometimes. We do our pre-show meeting via oh. Zoom, Glenn, and they'll be you know, on, on Grandpa's lap. Yeah, just yeah.
9: so cute.
4: Nice. 215-592-9494. We'll take your calls on all of what we have brought up, or you got something else on your mind. And when we get back, we're going to tell you what we've been watching on TV. We may have a special guest from another WIP show. Checking. I don't even know if I told you about that, did I?
5: I have an idea.
4: Okay. Well, I don't want to spoil. No, no, no. So that's coming up as well. Uh, Rob Ellis is in for Mike Sealski. I'm Glenn Mack now. This is 94 WIP. Rob Ellis. <laughs> there you go. Nice <laughs> job there, Ben.
5: There, that is some clean editing right there, there my friend. Nice. Who would
4: even know? No. All right, good job, Ben. Uh, what we're watching is sponsored by Got a Door and Window. Take advantage of Got a Door and Window's big summer sales event. Receive 40% off all windows and doors. Call one eight seven seven 877 go or visit them at goguida.com. All right, so what what I am watching, uh, Rob, and I think you may have checked out some of it, is the eight-part series on Netflix that is looking at three NFL quarterbacks, Patrick Mahomes, Kirk Cousins and Marcus Mariota, who, of course, was with the Falcons last year, lost his starting job to Desmond Ritter, and now is the Eagles backup to Jalen Hurts. It's worth watching for two reasons. For better or worse, you see Mariota stumble through last season, losing his job, leaving the team to go have knee surgery, and kind of there were a lot of questions like, did he quit? What happened? And the other thing, more than anything, it focuses on Mahomes. His relationship with Andy Reed, which seems very special, uh, in in like a Walsh Montana Belichick Brady kind of way. Mm. Mahomes coming up with plays and excitedly showing him the Reid. and of course you you we suffer through the Super Bowl again, if you really want to do that. Mahomes being heroic on that sprained ankle, Mahomes at Disney World. I will start with that and I know you've seen a couple you've you've checked it out yes. a little bit. Yes. All right. All right, what, well, what, what do you think?
5: My so my early impression it's it's very well done and in Peyton Manning and, and Omaha Productions. It, it you know what reminded me of Glenn how much I miss NFL films and, and the, the volume of stuff they used to put out because it's that well produced. So that that that's my first impression. They do a great job of just interweaving everything and utilizing a lot of different things that you can use now in the in the media and whatnot. So I, I really like that. Um, here's my takeaways. Just I'm two episodes in one. You, you nailed everything with Mahomes. The other, one thing I'll add to Mahomes is the wife's a handful. Okay. Oh, yeah. She's oh, a, yeah. She's a handful. God bless him. Um, <laughs> uh, number two. A lot of energy. It's
4: got a lot to say. There's a yeah. lot going on
5: there. Yeah. yeah. A lot of we when he's out there getting beaten up. and yeah, yeah. Oh, 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 good. Anyway. Um, Kirk Cousins seems like a genuinely nice guy.
4: (laughs) You know what he is? He's like the Midwestern corny dad guy.
5: He is that guy. Uh, And And
4: and likable, but kind of irrelevant in this show, I thought.
5: I agree. Now, my my last takeaway is kind of mildly concerning. I don't know how much Marcus Mariota likes playing football. That's interesting. He says repeatedly, you know, I'm not really sure why I'm doing this last year. Uh, And... You know, I know he's not going to be taking the beating or have the pressure this year as the backup to Jalen Hurts, but if he's pressed into action and things aren't necessarily going well, I wonder where this guy's head's at. So they were my my early takeaways from what I saw.
4: Well, and it may not really change. I've watched it, uh, and your opinions may not change the more you watch. I wanted to hear Mario's side of the story when it came to the surgery and leaving the team, the quote-unquote quitting on the team. And I don't know that I got the context I wanted, A lot of it centers on he and his wife having a baby at that time. Uh, And, you know, because the baby's cute and the wife speaks well and so on, you got to see a lot of that. The other part about him leaving the team was kind of brief. It's like, I wanted to get knee surgery, and then it just kind of moved on. There's not a whole lot of other insight. It's like, okay, let's move on to Mahomes and Cousins. Overall, you may have liked it a little more than I did. I think it's decent. You, you do get to see what these players do kind of Monday through Saturday, the training rooms and the team meetings and with the family. And the thing, I think it's in an early sub- episode, Kirk Cousins sitting down with his therapist.
5: Yes, uh, right. the, the team therapist. Yes. Yes.
4: Mm-hmm. You, don't, you don't get to see that kind of stuff very often. Mm-hmm. So it's good. I don't know that it's anything I haven't seen before. It's nothing. I don't think it's any better or worse than Hard Knocks, which is coming up.
5: Yeah, I I think it's, it is comparable to Hard Knocks. I I think it's a little more in depth. I think you have a little bit more access to these guys, and it's not you, you know which I I enjoy uh, mm-hmm. personally. I I like that away from the field stuff. But I by agree with you. I thought very well done. I, I, that's that's the way I would put it. It's worth the watch. So Patrick Mahomes, by
4: the way, potty mouth.
5: A lot of a lot of f bombs. Yeah. yeah, a lot of f bombs. You know, my bottom he, line got hurt. Andy, f no, you're not taking me out. Yeah. Right. And that, by
4: the way, that was – and they they get back to that. You saw, I think, previews of that. They get back to that, and you see that in excruciating detail, and that was a very good uh, part of that episode. My bottom line is, should you watch Quarterback on Netflix? Yes, you should watch it because it's football, and this is July, and as we talked about earlier, there's times you're scrambling for content, and we want football, and this is football.
5: Yeah, I I think it's well said. I I think it's a perfect – sort of jumping off point for you right now with camp kicking off next week. So just to give you a little primer, yeah. the best way to put it.
4: But you will relive the Eagles losing the Super Bowl to Kansas City, which <sighs> is not the most fun thing yes. in the world. All right, I gotta, I got to punch up our next guest for a couple reasons. First of all, um, our pal, my friend Rhea Hughes from the WIP Morning Show, shares with me a love of British cop shows. We, we trade uh, names of cop shows all the time. And you are watching one now, Rhea, that you think I should be checking out, and Rob, and the audience. Is that correct?
12: Hey, guys. How are you? Yes. There's, uh, there's a show that I absolutely love. It's called Deadlock. D-E-A-D-L-O-C-H on Prime. Eight episodes. It's an Australian black comedy. Basically a, a black comedy, a murder mystery, where a local man turns up dead on the beach in the middle of the town's festival. Then another man. Then another man. So a big city detective is brought in to help out the small-town female detective. Except it's another woman. It's kind of a flip of, you know, we've seen millions of serial murder shows that are all women getting killed. Yeah, This is all men, oh. and it's, it's a satire of all of that. And I will just say this. The second detective they bring in, this woman, her she goes by the name Eddie, do not watch this show around children. <laughs> this woman <laughs> cannot get through a sentence with, the uh, the f bombs galore, and so she's Patrick after, Mahomes. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean I'm just telling you. But you st- I when I started watching it, they were dropping an episode a week. The benefit for your audience and you, Glenn, and you, uh, Rob, mm-hmm. is that you. Got, I just finished it last week. Uh, the finale came out. You will never know who did it. They drop enough red herrings, but the acting is so good. There's moments of just outright humor because they're kind of making fun of the whole genre, but it's still at its heart a murder mystery, and I absolutely love it. That's it cool.
4: It sounds great already. Did you say it's from New Zealand? Australia. It's from Australia, Australia. yeah. It's, okay. It's,
12: based at the, it's kind of in Tasmania, uh, you know, on one of their beaches there. Yeah, and yeah. uh And I always normally tell people, like, I, I, so I do a TV podcast with Angelo and Jay Black, and, you know, and I Which, by the way, I've listened
4: to, which is great, called The TV Show. You guys put a lot of work into that. <laughs>
12: We, we do. It's fun. You can access it. No, on the no, I meant Black. the title. Yeah. Oh, that, <laughs> that was Jay. You know, Angelo and I merely – this is the one thing where Angelo has to not be in charge. So, yeah. like, it's funny when he tries to be. I'm like, dude, you're retired. Um, but, yeah, uh, if anybody wants to say it, it's TV, we have a lot of fun with it. But I normally tell people, you know, always put the closed captioning on – this one, not as much, but I would still recommend people who don't watch a lot of British or Australian or Irish shows, put the closed captioning on. It will help, at least for the first couple episodes. I,
4: it sounds great. I watched a New Zealand uh, cop murder show called Top of the Lake. Did you ever watch that one? Oh,
12: I have not seen that.
4: Put that on the list. Top of the Lake, okay. New Zealand cop show. Okay. So it's, it's, I've written go. it down. All right. Now, you and I also, we... we Got together a little bit this week for something else, which I think it, it, it all turned out well, right?
12: It, it did. So uh, I got to let the audience know, uh, Glenn is so awesome. I uh, About three weeks ago, right around the time when I adopted a new dog from the Pennsylvania SPCA, Cheney, Yes, named after John Cheney, Yes, real um, Good move. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Uh, a cute little pocket pity. He's, he's awesome. A kitty uh, decided to move into my backyard. Just showed up one day and – Unfortunately, we have an allergy situation in the house. Uh, one of my son's best friends is allergic to cats. Otherwise this cat I've always had cats. This cat would have been in my house. Unbelievably, for I tried for 3 weeks to get somebody to adopt this cat. I finally moved him into my house. He's in the basement, doors closed, so you know, he can't none of the allergies can get throughout the house. And I finally said, "I need some help." I reached out to Glenn Macnow, and Glenn said, "Uh you want me to post it." And Glenn, what within an hour Hour, uh, 30, fir-
4: 33 minutes was the first <laughs> i would love this by the way it was a, it's a, an adorable little cat i mean the photo yeah. sold it um 33 minutes in we got the first offer you were actually not able to reach that guy no. but we we had subsequent offers and one of them ding ding right was a winner
12: Yeah. so uh so i want to give a shout out to adam conroy uh adam got the, and we exchanged messages i sent him video of the cat and he goes I just got to, you know, get approval from the wife and the daughter. They already have two cats who they love, and they're big cat people. And um, he got back to me, said, full approval, didn't hurt that. Uh, I named the the cat Kelsey. They're going to name it, whatever. I figured, you know, (laughs) he was a late-round draft pick, a stray, against all odds. You know, (laughs) so I thought, you know, that's the sweetest thing. So um, they, uh, and Adam and his wife actually own downtown Cheese in the Reading Terminal. They're going to pick the cat up on Monday, so Kitty Cat's going to have a great home. That's thanks to Adam, and I wanted to come on and, blend just thank you because I I had reached out to probably 50 people, and hey. you posted it, and boom, your people came through, and I'm beyond excited.
4: Every once in a while, social media serves a good and productive purpose, <laughs> and this this was that time. So
12: it really does. Hey, good and I was good work out of both of When we do by the way. exchange, yeah. and uh, and you can post them.
4: Oh, I would love to. You did, uh, as they say where I come from, Rio. you did a mitzvah, and uh, this little cat, it sounds like, for Adam and I had met up years ago, he reminded me that 20, 20 years ago, listen to this, maybe even more, I traded okay. him a 610 WIP hat, and he <laughs> traded me a VCR tape of Survivor.
12: No, VCR? Yes,
4: <laughs> yes.
12: That's awesome. So that's how
4: long ago we we, we got together. So, uh, but he's still living out my way, and I'm yes. delighted they're getting the cat. And uh, you did a great thing. So I, I merely got to
12: serve as a conduit and was glad to do it. So this is all good. Well, thanks, guys. I love the show. You know, you know what we're watching is always my favorite segment. So, uh, and I was glad I got to be a part of it.
4: <laughs> and I got deadlock next on the list now
12: you and judy are going to love it do not watch it around your grandchildren
4: <laughs> Love. <laughs> okay will do ria thanks a ton great job ria
12: thanks guys take care all
4: right thanks. see you later there you go yeah she reached out to me during the week and she said we got this cat this adorable cat he's a, he's living in my backyard for three weeks right oh, think man. of the poor guy yeah so she's she's puts him down in the basement because he said the allergies took a picture It didn't take anything on my part. What did you say,
5: 43 minutes or or whatever it was? 33 minutes was the first,
4: yes, I will take this cat. And then there were others after that. And it ended up being this really nice guy from out in Havertown named Adam and- I I look forward to going and visiting this cat in the future.
5: But that you're right though. That is an area that and sort of just hey, I'm I'm I, I need help fixing my uh, you know, my my, my spout. Yeah. You know, you, yeah. that's where social media can be really good and really helpful. You're yes.
4: right. With with all of the swill of <laughs> junk and pollutants <laughs> and James Harden giving people the finger and like all of the st- and the political stuff that you just don't want to have to wade through. Every once in a while, there's something good. Do you yeah. have any? By the way, we and we got to hit a break. Yeah. I, I apologize. You got yeah. the Cooper doctor. I got Jack on hold. Mm-hmm. Is there anything on Twitter, let's say, or Facebook or Instagram that you just follow, as they say, the timeline cleanser? Oh, meaning, meaning it's just like I, I. So I follow two. I follow one called the Dodo. And the dodo is just three minute clips of stray dogs and cats. Oh, oh, I, I know,
5: I know houses. what mine is, and it's, it's it's hands down my favorite. Okay, it, it, it's super seventies sports. Oh, I do that one too. Hands down, uh, he is. Yeah, he's great. The guy who runs it, I think his name's Ricky Cobb, is hilarious. Like, yes, and it, and it really jogs your memory about stuff from when you were a kid that you're like, damn, I lived that. Like, I had that. I had that. Yes
4: piece that of poster Tupperware. was on my wall. Yeah. 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 yeah.
5: He's great. That's one of my all-time favorites right
4: there. Super 70s is good. You mm-hmm. ever look at the 60s at 60? No, I Also very good. Okay. I'm what he often that. puts up is like charts of the top 20 songs this week in 1969. It's like, okay, oh god, they were all great. Uh and the other one I I do and I wish I could tell you it's like Bootin' Bajan. and it's a, it's it's out of your B just go on Twitter and start with B U I T and it's all like 10 seconds videos that'll make you feel better.
5: I'm on it now. Uh, I just, uh, oh, uh, Booten Beeden. Yeah, that's Bo- it. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, uh, positive side of Twitter. Uh, that's that's a, it. From there the Netherlands. Go. Okay. All
4: right. All right. Netherlands. There All you right. go. All right, let's take a break. We'll come back. We'll get the team doctor. We'll get your calls. 215-592-9494. With Rob Ellis, I'm Glenn Mack now on 94WIP. Well, that's Phillies uh, President Dave Dombrowski talking earlier this week about Andrew Painter as the news comes out that Painter is expected to get uh, Tommy John surgery, reconstructive surgery, this coming week on his right elbow. Uh, it is a damn shame. 20-year-old kid, such a great prospect. People thought he'd be pitching for the Phillies this year, but that's a long way off now. Uh, Dr. Mark Pollard, our friend from Cooper Bone & Joint, joins us now. Doc, I feel like we've probably talked this subject more than anything over the years. But here we are again, and I want to start with this question. Um, the optimistic part of this, I guess, is that it's a. it tends to be a very successful surgery. Players come back from it as good or better more often than not. Is that fair to say?
2: Yeah. You know, the... Um the outcomes are generally very favorable, uh, for that procedure. You know, I think there's a misconception among, you know, younger uh, baseball players that they'll actually throw faster after having the surgery. And that's really not, not the case. Um, you know, you obviously you get back to where you were before, uh, you know, the goal is to stabilize the elbow again and allow it to take the stresses of of throwing. Uh, but you know, the, the way things have evolved uh, what we've learned and how we do things um generally lead to a favorable outcome so you know the ex- expectation rightly so is getting back to the previous level
5: hey doc i'll follow up on the on the tommy john thing um yeah there are a lot of people that are bothered that the phillies didn't do it necessarily right away but you heard what dave Dombrowski said when we were coming back there is it a matter of, of of kind of try to play it at times unless there's an obvious tear there playing it conservatively, waiting to see if it'll heal it'll heal up and and you know what are the odds that it usually works out when you do it that way the conservative way without surgery?
2: Yeah, it's so difficult to generalize because obviously these things are all different. Um, you know obviously you don't want to do surgery unless you have to and um, uh, not in a, any small part because the recovery takes you know, quite some time, you know, oftentimes it's a year to kind of get back to uh, pitching and so forth. So you try to give, you know, every opportunity for it to get better, especially if the, you know, my understanding was the initial MRI showed, a, you know, wasn't a full tear of the ligament, uh, like a partial tear. And so in some ways you rely more on the, you know, the symptoms and the physical exam more than the imaging studies uh, just to kind of assess how the recovery is going. And you know, certainly, um, you know, you can have, there's a good percentage of people that will recover without without surgery. If it is these, you know, partial tears or small partial tears of, of the ligament.
4: Last one for me, you hinted, uh, kind of talked a little bit about the timetable. Um, so we are here uh, at the end of July in 2023. If all goes well uh, and he's young and he's strong, what's the earliest we would see him pitch again in uh, professional baseball?
2: Well, you know, again, that's kind of a sl- slippery question. Um, you know, obviously pitchers take longer than other uh, – p- potentially other position players to get back to it just because, you know, their uh, ulnar collateral ligaments are stressed so uniquely in what they, what they have to do. Um, you know, generally the thought is, you know, anywhere between 9 and 18 months. Um, and everybody comes back differently. And I know we've talked before, you know, the – recovery from a surgery is not just the biology of the, you know, the ligament graft healing in, the tissues, um, the maturing and things like that, but uh, also is the, you know, the muscle, the timing, the nerves, you know, the other intangibles kind of coming back. And that's not uniform from person to person. So that's why it's so difficult to uh, make a blanket statement of how many months it will be
4: uh dr mark pollard it is always a pleasure enjoy the rest of the weekend we look forward to talking to you soon my friend
2: all right great thanks so much have
4: a good day thanks Thanks, doc
2: it it's
4: it is it's just a horrible shame for this kid right and who in march was going to be the Phillies' fifth starter oh my god you know one of the 10 best prospects in baseball and the phillies thought confident that he was going to be able to do it and then all of a sudden comes the arm discomfort and they try this and they rest him and so and here we are July he gets the surgery i i well i don't know if i think we agree that like i don't blame the phillies for no. this and i
5: don't blame him for
4: this nobody as the doctor said who who wants to rush into surgery they don't. if there's any
5: other option right and if if your doctors are telling you, hey, you, you know, you want to you want to play this conservatively. He doesn't necessarily right now need to have the surgery. The other thing is, you can't make somebody get surgery. And I'm not saying that, you know, Painter objected to anything, but we act like this is just, hey, we've decided you're getting surgery. No, he has to make a decision. So does Scott Boris, who's his agent. So I'm okay with it. Look, the, the the good thing is, Glenn. You should still get him back by the time he's twenty two. As frustrating as it is that we won't see him next year either, it's not like he's going to be twenty five. And you're right. The shame of it is, he was the outlier. He was the guy they didn't wait forever to bring up. You know, he was going to be nineteen, twenty years old, and we were going to get a chance to see him. Yeah, like you see with other organizations, it just it stinks. You know, and it's it's a tough thing, but it's it's a reality of baseball with as hard as these guys throw now.
4: I can't think of any position more tenuous. Than pitching phenom, yeah, right. And you see that all the time. These kids, which is why, you know, teams everybody's like, "Oh, you just trade Painter for Soda. The Padres will do it." Yeah, it's like the the number of these kids who make it, and some make it, is I would argue probably less than I'm trying to think of any position in any sport where it's a quarterback Kansas, maybe. Yeah, maybe quarterback. I don't know. With with quarterback, it's it's often not health. But this one, it's it's no. I agree. I'm
5: sorry. I just think the 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 miss rate is. Yeah, no, I I hear you.
4: I hear you. And and you may be right with that one. Um, The kid, I'm I'm blanking on his name for a second. Who the the Phillies traded the Marlins for? Real Muto,
5: Sixto Sanchez.
4: Sixto Sanchez, right? And he went to the Marlins, and boy, he looked like he was going to be a world beater for a little bit, and then it it goes south with him. Yeah. Um, it's there's so many guys who. It happens. Um, Oh, uh, the the kid with uh, the Nationals, I I know he pitched in the Wolves. Steven Strasburg. Strasburg was going to be an all-timer. It was going to be a Hall of Famer, right? I remember when they put his Major League debut on ESPN in the middle of the day, and I went and watched it because I wanted to see this kid, and he looked like he was going to be great, and he was, and they shut him down, he came back, and... You know, it's, it's so, that position, man, is so tough. And I feel for these kids. I really feel I do for too. Painter.
5: It's one of the reasons also why you don't want to just, everybody wants to just, hey, let, let Aaron Nola walk. Well, look, and I know he's not a kid in, in this same context, but it's hard to find guys who take the ball every fifth day. Yeah, because,
4: 200 innings every year. Right,
5: everybody's hurt all the time now.
4: Yeah, yeah, that's, that's a good point. I just wish he would.
5: Like I know. Look, consistent. he drives you nuts. I'm not saying he doesn't. I like drive the good
4: Nola. Nuts. The bad Nola drives me nuts. But the like thing
5: it. is, start to start, you never know.
4: Oh, inning to inning. Yes. All right. Let's get Jack and Santa Barbara up here. Hey, Jack,
5: how are things?
11: Hey, Havertown and Delco. There, I, I, I love listening to this. The dude. <laughs> yeah. Hey. Yeah. Um. Hey. Okay. So I got three part harmony here for the for the tee up, man. Okay. So. Um, I want to talk about the Sixers and Mm -hmm. then I want to give you a couple of assists, uh, one on what I'm watching, what I'm listening to, and then help you out with the grill situation. We may not have
4: time for all three of those because i got a guest coming up, but
5: start with the Sixers.
11: Okay. So, Rob, who's playing point guard?
5: Uh, Probably Maxie. Uh, We're going to find out if he can play the position or not.
11: How do you how do you like him penetrating down the middle and dishing it off? How's that go? Well,
5: I, yeah, I also I'm just worried about him getting him in, in them into the proper sets as a point guard. But I'm willing to take the chance with him.
11: All right, I am. All right, all right. Well, I I wanted your feedback on that because we yeah. always talk, yeah, fixers. So so Glenn, what you're watching and and what you want to listen to, yes. Um, Dana Goodyear writes for The New Yorker. Uh, you can get it on Odyssey. Lost Hills. It's about Malibu. Uh, season three crosses over with my story arc. I'll, okay. I'll say nothing. All nothing right. else. Lost Hills. I like Lost, it. Lost Hills. All
4: right.
6: Okay.
11: Here we go. All right. I'm watching Goliath because I watched Wilt play when I was a you're yeah, watching the
4: Goliath that's about Wilt, not the Goliath that was the uh, series a couple of years ago with Billy yeah, Bob. Yeah. On, real quick, because I got I got like 15 seconds. How is that phenomenal? Mm. Okay, phenomenal.
11: Sunny Hills on it. You oh, know, it it, it, it it's all it, it's all real really good. Jack,
4: stuff. I appreciate it. I'll talk to you nice, soon. Jack. So that Goliath thing with Wilt, maybe we will bring it up in the next hour. They they use AI to reconstruct his voice. Really. Yeah, I'll I tell you about it I, I haven't started yet, but I will. All right, hey, listen, coming up, yeah. this is going to be a real treat. Eric Kratz, you remember, is a catcher for the Phillies. He was a backup catcher all around the major leagues for a decade. He did some broadcasting of the Phillies, thought he was terrific. He's got a book out now called The Tau of the Backup Catcher, about the life of being a backup in the major leagues. Really good stuff. We'll talk to him about that and the Phillies coming up. With Rob Ellis, I'm Glenn Mack now on 94 WIP. Well, there you go. That was a great moment in the career of Eric Kratz, whose career had an astounding number of great moments, and he is nice enough to join us now. Turkey Bacon himself, the former Phillies catcher, broadcaster, and now co-author of a very good book, along with baseball writer Tim Brown, the Tao of the Backup Catcher. We'll get back. We'll get into that in a moment, but uh, Eric, I'm going to ask you. And if you don't know, I'm going to ask Rob. Do you remember that home run and the circumstances of it?
9: Oh, my goodness. I didn't hit that many. I have to remember all my home runs. Of course I do. I remember Del Delman Young got on first base. I think it was by a walk. And then they pinch ran Cliff Lee because Delman couldn't run and Cliff could. And somehow Cliff blacked out and got picked off. He wasn't going anywhere. And then I hit a homer and then Freddie Galvis hit The walk-off.
4: Perfect. You nailed it. There you go. Photo, incredible memory. Anyway, uh, Eric lasted lasted 11 seasons in the majors, despite never having more than 203 at-bats in a season. Played for 19. By the way, got there at age 30 and played for nine major league teams. Retired in 1920 after 19 professional seasons. And this book that you wrote with Tim Brown, which I am thoroughly enjoying about three-quarters of the way through at the Tower of the Backup Catcher, really talks about that brotherhood of backup catchers. So I'm just going to start. We're going to get into all nature of things, including this current Phillies team and some of the people who do what you do as a catcher. But um, what is it that goes into playing that position, being a backup catcher? Because you're more than just a guy that plays once or twice a week.
9: There's a lot more that goes into it, correct? Definitely. I mean, I think the book, I think Tim really does a great job of capturing so many different stories. Like mine, mine is just one of them. Um, You know, stories of guys that maybe were failed starters in the big leagues, guys who were prospects in the minor leagues that, you know, ended up hanging around and getting an opportunity. But I think the common thread is that if you're going to have any type of longevity, and longevity is relative, you know, if you should only have three years in the big leagues, and you can get two and a half out of it, that's longevity. You know, for some other guys, longevity just means how do you how do you create those relationships? How do you foster the relationships with the different people on on the team? Because really, analytics hasn't hasn't really touched the backup catcher role yet. <laughs> it tries to, but eventually you have to get the guy that's able to speak Spanish. The guy that's able to speak to position players the same as he does pitchers. The guy that's able to not completely screw the game up when your JT real Mutos and your Salvador Perez is, are not in the game. So it's, it's a, it's a complex role, but it really just boils down to, the relationships.
4: Yeah, I'm going to turn it over to Rob, but I just want to say the book. At one point, the book says, "The position means that you are big brother, priest, psychologist, witch doctor, player, coach, father figure, and drinking buddy." And I thought that was that was all pretty good, Rob.
5: Yeah, that was Eric. I'm enjoying it very much as well. Um, here's the question I have for you, and you're a great example of just stick to itiveness, frankly. But when you're let's say eight years in to, to the minors, you don't get up as Glenn said till you know twenty ten when you're thirty, but when you're that far into the journey, how hard is it to continue to have that faith? I mean because it's not just you right it's your wife if you have kids at that point like how do you just keep grinding and and sticking with it where a lot of people at that point would pull the plug
9: for sure and and hindsight is twenty twenty but I remember I gave a I spoke to a a, a you know, father son group that came to Indianapolis and I hadn't been in the big leagues yet, but the year before I was the MVP of the Triple A team for the Pirates, Indianapolis Indians. And I remember telling them, like, we're not we're not guaranteed the next day. Like I could have finished that speech and gone to walk down the steps and rolled my ankle and twisted my knee and I would have been done. Like that's and to that, you know, what day I actually came to that realization that I'm not guaranteed the next day it helped me get through the times of when you win m v p of the triple A team and they don't call you up. Mm. You sign back and you have a better spring training and they don't call you up. you get you know you get benched in triple A because the pitching coach doesn't like you like those are the things that are helped me helped me deal with those situations and if you would have told me at the beginning of those eight years that all that stuff would have happened but not told me the outcome that I would have made the big leagues for parts of 11 years I would have been like no shot I'm ending this now so it's a good thing I was ignorant I didn't know what was ahead so it was it was partial ignorance, partial. I felt I felt I had a purpose to be there, and the purpose was bigger than than just my my playing ability or results or what baseball really thought of me.
4: I'm reading the book and I'm thinking of Crash Davis. I'm probably not the first person to tell you this in Bull Durham, right? Uh, and oh, yeah. two things: one, talking about how you know you get to the major leagues and the balls are clean and there's somebody to carry your bags and you get your own hotel room, and then also kind of. And I don't want to jump the story here, but when it gets to the end, and the end is in his case because they want to call up a younger kid to see how he does, and he's of a certain age, and his future's behind him. Um, is that if I'm if I'm watching Bull Durham, am I seeing the Eric Kratz story?
9: No, no. no I always tell people. I always tell people. Kratz Davis sucked. I was really good. <laughs> <laughs> No, and then and then people are like, "Well, no, no, you had kind of the same story." I was like, "No, he had forty-one days in the big leagues. I got over six yeah, years of years. service. Yeah, I'm mm-hmm. way way better than him, either yeah, that pension, or mm-hmm. I just fooled
11: him."
5: <laughs> yeah, that, that's that's to me what's amazing, and you're right. It's so complex the position that you play. It's not, an, you know, no disrespect to an outfielder or a first baseman. There's so much more that goes on with that spot. Uh, in that position and what you have to do. And, you know, that's the hard part, I would think, that it's not just, hey, can I just concentrate on my hitting or what we're doing this day? There's a lot of other stuff that goes on. Like, what's the craziest thing, Eric, that went on for you sitting out in a bullpen, either in the minors or the majors? Something just weird that you can tell us on the air.
9: Something weird? Weird, uh,
5: maybe, you know, I don't know, racy, or whatever. Something you keep it
9: clean. So the something clean. Mm -hmm. The the story that comes to mind right away is one team I played for, the guy's still playing, so I don't want to embarrass him, but team I played for in the minor leagues, they would play they would play Hacky Sack. I don't know if you guys remember Hacky Sack. Oh
4: sure. Very much.
9: You know, they would they would kick it around in a bullpen for the first inning. And one of our relievers was kicking it around and this bullpen was totally isolated. Normally you can go down underneath the stands or there's a way to go out through. This one was completely isolated, completely locked, locked in. So if you had to go to the bathroom or something, you had to go back across the field in between innings. Well, they're kicking, they're kicking. And the one kid just goes to take kind of a normal kick, kind of an inside out kick. And he tears his MCL in his right knee. And he feels it pop, and so he has to sit down in the bullpen till the seventh or eighth inning when they finally get a like a cart to cart him in the middle in between oh innings. My God. And by that time, his knee had just swollen up so bad he couldn't even bend it. Oh. Like stupid relievers.
4: <laughs>
9: um, you hit.
4: You did uh, two. Terms with the Phillies, um, and by the way, Eric grew up uh, about an hour north of Philadelphia, so you were a you were a kid at Veterans Stadium, back in yep. your youth. What was it like playing for the hometown team? And the, and the second part of that is, as the backup catcher, what's your relationship with the starter? What was your relationship with Chooch?
9: Well, first, playing for the Phillies was something that when they offered me the contract in the offseason, the minor league contract. I remember thinking, wow, this is unbelievable. I get to play for my hometown a team that I grew up watching. And I remember thinking, I still have to think, like, is this a good opportunity? Fortunately, I did accept that position. And, you know, I went to AAA, got called up in September, that first year in 11, and I'll never forget sitting on the bench. I was sitting at the end of the bench at the, the entrance that goes to the right side of the dugout, if you're looking out the field. And I just sat there. I looked down at the pinstripes on my pants, and I was like, these pinstripes look way more red when you're wearing them than even I remember as a kid watching the pinstripes. But the second part of the question was about my relationship with Chooch. Yeah. I can say to this day he is my favorite catcher and teammate that I've ever had. Oh, wow! Like he is like if Philly fans knew, Philly fans adore Carlos Ruiz, but if they knew what kind of person he was, like they would, they would have him up there on the Mount Rushmore of Philly's Philly's fandom because he's just. For, for instance, the one time, the one like month and a half, two months that I was the starter when he had pulled his hamstring, we lived next to each other. We lived. Over in Haddonfield, and he was basically across the street and I caught four or five games in a row and then I came in and pinch hit in the seventh and I caught three more and he was like, "Hey, he's like my masseuse is coming over he's like i don't I don't need it you know you you come over you use it whenever you use them whenever you need them and like every like I'm telling you everything he paid for. He paid, we did fantasy football together, and he's like, I don't know anything about football. He said, I just like to hang out with the guys, so I'll pay, you run the fantasy football team. And we won the championship that wow. year too, so Sweet. that was even more. Yeah, but Chooch is unbelievable, and it was so great to reconnect with him at the World Series last year. I found out he was going to be in the, in the stadium, and so we, we reconnected, and he's a guy that's just an amazing, amazing friend and teammate. That's
5: very cool. Eric, uh, let me ask you, you, one of the things you you mentioned early, and it was really great the way you guys, you and Tim Brown did an awesome job sort of grabbing people with the early part of the book. Um, But give me that moment for you when you finally made it, when you finally got that call up, um, which was July 17th of 2010, but to be able to look into the stands, and I don't know if they were there for your first game or not, but when you had the opportunity to look into the stands and either see your wife or your parents, just what that moment was like.
9: It was so satisfying for the fact that the night before I didn't play and I remember sitting in the bullpen going, thinking to myself, like, there's no different feeling. Like, I thought there would be some type of, like, different feeling in the sense of, wow, I made it. Like, this is it. Like, I had made it, yes. But there was no different. Like, it was still – I still wanted to do well. I still – was focused on getting better, that type of thing. But that night when I finally got, I don't remember looking up in the stands, but I remember looking up in the stands after my first hit. It was in my third at bat. And I remember seeing my wife and I remember seeing my dad start to tear up. And that was like, that was that that was an awesome, awesome moment. Uh, just to, not, because, because it wasn't just about me, like that journey, to make it to the big leagues wasn't just about me and I hopefully that comes across in the book that it's all the people in in my life mm-hmm. there's a there's a part in the book where my my dad encourages me not to quit in 2004 when I got sent back to rookie ball for the third straight year as a mm-hmm. senior in college and there's also a time later on in my career where my dad's like you have two kids now and you're still not in the big leagues like what like what's the plan you know so there's there's different times when different people or even the same people had had differing advice and it was all good like it was it was great in those moments to have those people and to know that they were supporting me and obviously my wife i mean she's she's half the book so well the chapter
4: the chapter about what wives go through in your situation Right, you yep. have the apartment, and then you got to get a new apartment. You got to get the kids in school. And you got to find daycare, and you gotta, it's like that part was was terrific. Uh, we have just another minute or two. We're with Eric Kratz, who everybody remembers from his years with the Phillies, uh, and has written a ter- terrific book with Tim Brown called "The Tao of the Backup Catcher." So you um, played, if I am correct, in order maybe with the Pirates, the Phillies, Toronto, the Royals, back to the Phillies, Houston. The Pirates again, the Yankees, Milwaukee, uh, and by the way, I once I saw a clip of Milwaukee where a bunch of fans were all wearing your jerseys from all these teams. Yep. That was cool. Yep. San Francisco, Tampa, and then the Yankees. That doesn't include the major, the minor league stops. Am I the first person to tell you that you are like my favorite go-to for immaculate grid?
9: You are not the first person, <laughs> but it's okay. Because I'm hoping Immaculate Grid is going to start doing sponsorships. Because <laughs> I am, if you if you go for just the names, eh, nobody's gonna ever put me. If you're going for rarity score,
4: absolutely, I
9: am. I am your guy. You're golden. Me, me Young Harvest Solarte, and Abraham Almonte are are just absolute Immaculate Grid legends. Obviously, Edwin Jackson too, but. I always tell people, Edwin Jackson always gets so much credit because he played for 13 different organizations. I played for 14 different organizations, but just not all in the big leagues. Yeah.
5: Uh, Eric, let me ask your present day. um, It's been a little bit of a struggle the last three games. And, uh, you know, you're you're seeing a team that I think certainly can be a playoff team again and, and make a run again. But just give me your overall impressions of what's happening with this Phillies club.
9: I think it's, I think, you know, on the surface, you see the fact that. The offense is kind of streaky. The offense is, you know, it was built to be this juggernaut of an offense. And when you build a juggernaut offense from free agents, it's hard. You see it in, in Castellanos. Nick came in last year and, and struggled with kind of the similar things that, that Trey struggled with in, in their own way chasing out of the zone more than they normally would. Those are those are the surface things. But what I see is Philly fans need to appreciate the fact that Reese Hoskins is not in the lineup right now because he had a huge, huge role. Whether Philly fans liked his streakiness or not, he had a huge productive role and to me I would love to see Reese come back on a year on a year deal to re reestablishes value but for the rest of the season the phillies are trending so upward it's like a little dip in the a little dip in the stock market right now three games i mean the first loss in milwaukee that one that one was tough you know you don't make one play and, yeah. and it kind of snowballs um the last game look you you face a cy young award winner you don't make him look like a Cy Young Award winner. He is a Cy Young Award winner. And so that was what it was. And you go into Cleveland, you, you need to do the right things to beat Cleveland. And I think, you know, a perfect throw by Miles Straw last night was kind of, you know, kind of got that momentum just stopped. It was, yeah, the bases loaded, loaded against Gavin Williams twice and didn't come back. But I see... Everything trending up. I see better at-bats from Trey. I see better at-bats from, I mean, you see the normal standard Schwarber at-bats where he's going to get on base and he's going to hit his dingers. But the thing I see is Brandon Marsh really taking his walks and Stott and boom coming up in big situations, hitting pitches to parts of the ballpark that they normally don't. Stott really able to barrel up some fastballs, which is making him more lethal. And, boom, being able to pull a right-handed hitter, I mean a right-handed pitcher, you know, normally his power is just versus lefties to the pull side, and now he's able to do both. And so I see this team in a better spot than they were last year. And I was the only one on the radio or TV booth that was – in the corner of this team is going to make a deep run in the playoffs if they can get in. And they all looked at me and then they fired me and didn't bring me back.
4: <laughs> well, I will just say, I, <laughs> I really, and, and uh, Rob and I talked about this before. Sure. We really enjoyed you as a broadcaster. Would love to see you back doing that. Last question from me, the one name you didn't bring up, I'm assuming it's your favorite guy on the team is Garrett Stubbs. I mean, he, he, if, if this book ever has a second edition, he would seem to be perfect for some of those stories.
9: Yeah, but he's too good. He's too good to be a backup. That's that's his issue. I said, if you keep getting hits, you're going to get traded, and then you're going to have to go and catch every day. And I don't know that you want that. He's like, no, I don't want to get traded, but I'd love to catch every day. He he has the he has the best best mentality for the position. Yeah, he is ultra competitive. You never go out. You never watch a game where you're like, man, Dove just doesn't have the energy. No, he's out there. Every he puts it together tough at bats against lefties. He can lay a bunt down when needed. He turns the lineup over, and he's productive. Like y- you, you put any player in a role where you play once every seven days, maybe a pinch hit here or there in between there, and you're not going to get much production out of him. And you could not ask for more production out of Stubbsy and. The guy wins. When he's out there, they win. like, And you don't even see JT go out to one of the pitchers in between those days. You talk to any starting pitcher, I mean starting catcher, and that is a huge, huge value. Like you don't have to do anything. You don't have to get ready to pinch hit. That is a full day off, and you are locked and loaded to play the next four or five in a row again.
4: Well, Eric Kratz, it is a pleasure uh, catching up and talking with you today. And uh, both Rob and I are really enjoying the tau of the backup catcher, Tim Brown, terrific writer. The the book is really well written. Uh, that tells the story of Eric Kratz and dozens and dozens of other backup catchers, the fraternity thereof. Hey, thanks so much. Really nice to talk to you.
9: Glenn, Rob, I appreciate it for having me on. All right, Hi, good talk. luck
4: with the book. There you go. Eric Hi, Kratz. You. Uh, very nice guy. Very good book. All I can't say enough good things about it.
5: Yeah, it really takes you into that world, that life, yeah. and and just how you know what it, what it really everything you cut everything else away, Glenn, It's a love of the game. You got to love the game to do it as long as he did, and not have the opportunity for as long as he did. I mean, think about it. he said his dad, his dad saying him like, dude, what's going on here? You got two kids, you're yeah. still not up in the big leagues, and he stuck with it. it it's a lot <laughs> he of got perseverance. A decade out of it. Man. Yeah, incredible.
4: That's pretty good. There's a great line from Jim Bouton, uh, who wrote Ball Four, mm. which was like the first baseball book I ever read as a kid. Boy, talking about getting disillusioned. But Jim Bouton wrote a line that said, "If I'm going to get pretty close to what it said. It said, you spend most of your life gripping a baseball, and then in the end it turns out that it was the other way around all the time. Wow. And I just thought, like, that's got to be it, right? It's deep. Yeah, that's pretty good. All right. 215 592 94 94. We'll come back. You want to call in? We'd love to talk to you. we got a little bit of time before we go to um, Go Birds Radio, I'm assuming, today at 1 o'clock? Yes. Right. Okay, there you go. Uh, so Rob Ellis is in for Mike Sealski. 215 592 94 94 on 94 WIP. Well, first of all, it was nice of uh, Whitey to to provide the musical accompaniment (laughs) to that clip. You didn't know he could do that. No, I didn't know the Phillies used to do that. Um, All right, to my line of thinking, there is one absolute Hall of Famer uh, in that last clip. You know who it was? I think there's two. Well, the one is Harry Callis.
5: And the other one's Whitey.
4: Well, yeah, playing the the, (laughs) the music. (laughs) Playing your
5: instrumental. So...
4: um, Maybe we should have brought this up earlier. It's a touchy topic. Actually, I'm on tomorrow with Jody McDonald. We'll Mm -hmm. discuss it a little more, but I will get your take on it. Tomorrow is the Hall of Fame day in Cooperstown. Fred McGriff being inducted. Uh, John Lowe, the guy who worked here in Philadelphia, who covered baseball. I knew him in Detroit for a long time. Gets in as the writer. And former Philly Cardinal Blue Jay Red Scott Rowland is getting in. Your thoughts, my friend.
5: Uh, I, I think if you look at his numbers, Glenn, you, 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 there's a case to be made for sure that he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. He was a great fielder, gold glove fielder, rookie of the year, MVP. He was in consideration a couple times. I think he finished as high as fourth, maybe something like that. Um, numbers are really, really good. But do I feel a tie to Scott Rowland? I don't. Do I feel any kind of sentiment, sentimentality towards him? Do I feel particularly good? No. No, I don't. Um, he... At every turn, and he wasn't just quiet. I get that there's quiet people, but he was sullen and mopey and miserable at every every turn here. And I get it wasn't a great era. The late 90s were tough. Um, but, no, I mean, I, I, do I feel particularly good about it? Not really. No, I don't feel any kind of connection to the guy whatsoever.
4: Yeah, he spent um, most of seven years here, um, one rookie of the year in 1997, really did have some terrifically productive seasons with the Phillies and maybe other than Mike Schmidt's the best defensive third baseman they've ever had. Yep. But it, it was a bad era of Phillies baseball and, and he was kind of part and parcel of it just being a disconnect. Now, you know, I, I was in the, in the clubhouse more than, than I am today, which is, I don't really get there these days, but I was back then. And it was a pretty unpleasant place. And yes, he, he did work his way out of town. Now, should we blame him for working his way out of town? The team was bad. They showed no interest in getting better. They said they didn't have the resources. It's a small market team. If you remember Bill Giles saying that, mm-hmm. but I never felt he was he was one of us. Um, and I I don't know. Maybe you and I same that share that same petty platform. But
5: well, I just I'm, think I'm, it's uh, at some level it should be fun, you know, and it should be. When, when you're seeing a guy who's your best player in the face of your team at that time, I mean, maybe you can make an argument Schilling was still till he got dealt, but whatever. I mean, either one of those two guys, but this is particularly for Roland, and he just didn't want to be here. So how, how are you supposed to feel as a fan of the team when the guy wants to be anywhere else? I, I don't know how you react any differently. Like, you recognize the talent, but if he doesn't want to be here, then good riddance. Same thing. That's why how I feel about Harden. So
4: let me you. Yeah, well, Harden's just passing through. Roland yeah. was, again, seven years here. Right. But let me ask you this. Um, will there be any Philly fans at Cooperstown wearing the Philly hat cheering on Roland? Because every time we've had one of ours get into any of the Hall of Fames, we show up, including, by the way, for Reggie White when he got in, um, you know, in, into Canton, right. even though he had left here and gone on to win a Super Bowl in Green Bay.
5: Um, I think yeah, but you, you bring up Reggie. I don't. I think Reggie left uh, under much more understandable understandable circumstances with a with a carpet bagging owner who yeah, well, wasn't going to pay anybody. A right. Well, the the greatest defensive player maybe in the game, and he wouldn't right. offer him a contract. Um, but. Do I think let me put it to you this way, on the Brian Dawkins scale of through the roof <laughs> versus uh, uh-huh. you know, whatever the bottom tier of the base is. Well, this, of this is the is, bottom tier, right? Uh, yeah, I think it'll he there will be representation, but it will not be, you know, roll and chance in the crowd. I, I don't think so. I think you see a couple of scattered, smattered seventeen jerseys, but it won't be anything really heavy duty at all.
4: Well, we're not gonna be at Cooperstown. It, I'm no. sure it's gonna be broadcast on the MLB network. I'm gonna be looking for it And I'm betting that we see fewer than five Phillies rolling jerseys there. A lot of St. Louis ones, although he left that organization on bad terms, too. Yeah. Uh, I think Toronto,
5: he just kind of passed through Cincinnati. He closed out there, yeah, and that was more – I think he was uh, – you know, St. Louis – he was an Indiana kid, so I guess it would be St. Louis and Cincinnati. Oh, baseball heaven, which is,
4: again, one of the reasons that, like, we never liked him. He left here and described St. Louis as baseball heaven.
5: Yeah, I that's the other part of this thing. Look, look, again, do I think he's worthy? Yeah, probably. He probably is. But, Glenn, the needle couldn't move less for me when it comes to Scott Rowland going in the Hall of Fame. I like, think,
4: again, tomorrow's show I think I'm going to ask this question, but I'll, I'll – ask you now and it'll give me about 22 hours to think about it name the any Philadelphia athlete slash sports figure coach GM owner who got into a hall of fame for major team sports and we could care less and I think I mean I can't I can't think of another we'll think about that between now and then it's a great
5: question um man you know, it's weird. It, no football players. There's no football player that really comes to mind for me immediately. Um, I'm just trying no, to think. We of, love him. Yeah. Uh, and the basketball. last one I think was
4: is, was Harold Carmichael, right? He's the last uh, yes. eagle to get in. Yeah. Uh, long overdue. Long overdue. And, I mean, we we love Harold.
5: I don't think there's a basketball player or really a hockey player that that spent uh, you know either the beginning of yeah their five career, year
4: minimum yeah I'm it's
5: got to be that's a thing like you know guys are in and out of here it's a different story Peter Forsberg who just celebrated a right. birthday was here for he, yeah. could, he couldn't put his you know heel into the boot every uh, second
4: the poor guy yeah his feet fell apart, and I'm not right. killing
5: him it just stunk for no Flyers no no fans. no yeah. he, he tried his best no he no
4: that's not on him no
5: I Glenn I don't know that there's a comp to rolling. I really don't. I mean, it's, yeah. I think it's a great question for you guys tomorrow. But I, I off the top of my head, I can't really think of one.
4: Yeah, It's a very petty day for you and
5: I. It, it's all right. Sometimes you got to be petty. Man.
4: Ripping Josh Harris, ripping Roland. Yeah. Well, people say, "Oh, sports talk radio is all negative." We go, "No, it's not. It's really not." Right. Like, well, today it is. It so is. Sometimes there it goes. All right. Uh, let us. Let me get my thing here, Kevin. Uh mm-hmm. want to talk about Eric Kratz. What are you thinking about, Kevin?
0: Glenn, Rob, can you hear me? What's up, yeah, Kevin? We got you. Hey, um, yeah, I'm about to just reverse what you just said about it, you know, or maybe just affirm it. It's negative, uh, talking about Scott Rowland and my blood starts to boil. That guy couldn't have cared less about this city, couldn't have cared less about the fan base, didn't show up, said he wasn't coming to his own Phillies Hall of Fame induction ceremony. So you know what that guy can do? He can kick rocks until they turn to sand and then he can eat that sand. I don't want anything to do with that guy. Um, there's no love or connection. I wanted to really talk about Eric Kratz, and Let's that's what I'm going to pivot to. Because Let's do it. Boy, Glenn, that's you thought guy. we
5: were petty. He's got he's got rolling yeah. eating sand. I yeah, love it, That's Kevin. good punctuation. Yeah, exactly, because yes. yep.
0: that's the way I feel about a person who acts indifferent towards one of the best Fan base is in all of baseball, and then he goes to St. Louis and says it's baseball heaven. Yeah, I mean, I think baseball heaven is a place where players like Mickey Morandini and Rico Bruna are being celebrated, like they're you know all stars. <laughs> That's a Rico Bruna pull. Nice. Up with.
4: You know what? And, and hold on one second. I almost invoked Rico Brogna earlier today, Rob. Really? When I yeah, when I said Bryce Harper did such a good job at first base and was comparing to other good defensive first basemen, I almost <laughs>
5: at least you didn't I say almost, Travis Lee.
4: Another miserable SOP. Yeah, right. Speaking of, I think he was a teammate at Rollins. He was. Anyway, let's talk Eric Kratz, Kevin.
0: Yeah, so um, two things. Um, First of all, I'm definitely going to read that book. I'm so glad that you guys interviewed him, had him talk about it. But um, I remember there was a game I went to, probably 2011, 2012, where they were playing against the Cardinals, and uh, Eric Kratz came up. We had just taken the lead. Had a little bit of momentum, and he hit a moonshot. I mean, as soon as the ball touched his bat, you could hear it reverberate. When that guy got a hold of something, I mean, talk about weaponry. When you look at that guy's arms,
4: yeah, he had power. And I mean, mean, he he writes he writes in the book that you know he was he was the slowest runner in the major leagues, and (laughs) there were certain you know there there are a lot of skills he didn't have, but he could hit for power, and that's one of the things that helped keep him around for a long time. 100%
0: 100% played the game as hard as he could every day. And I think nothing, and I'm going to let you go after I reference this play, nothing exemplifies the toughness of that what that man had to go through to get where he was than Chipper Jones knocking him on his rear end at home plate on a bang, bang throw to, to stop the Braves from winning the game. And I don't remember exactly the context beyond that because all I remember is Eric That's Kraft. That's good enough. He got uh, the ball and it was. Like he got hit by an NFL linebacker, stupid Larry.
4: Well, uh, I don't... <laughs> and, and I'm sure he held the ball. Kratz, a big guy. I'm sure he held the ball.
5: I, I just pulled it up. It, it's, it's nasty, Glenn. Is that right? Yeah, it was um, – Halliday was pitching.
4: Well, hold on. You know what? S- send it to Ben, the producer. we play it coming back if we can. Oof. All right, yeah. Send Ben the highlight okay. if, we, if we can do it. All right. So, do you miss those, uh, those, those uh, collisions at the plate? I do. Very yeah. much so. Yeah, I would imagine, we didn't ask Eric, I'm imagining catchers don't miss those.
5: I miss them, Glenn, and I get why, you know, and certainly it was, you know, Buster Posey. Buster Posey rule, yeah. Yeah, who was, you know, obviously a big-time oh, catcher. you have it. Oh,
4: sweet. All yeah. right, let's go with
5: it. All right.
6: Yeah. Well, Paul Yanis is now the batter, and he floats one towards shallow center field. It's going to drop in for a hit. Chipper's coming home. Here's the throw to the plate by Mayberry, and it's a collision. Did Kratz hang on?
4: Good job by Tom McCarthy there.
5: A good hustle. Good call by McCarthy. Good hustle by Ben to get that that quickly. It, it, it's a nasty collision. I, Kratz took a shot, and Chipper Jones was a big dude. Yeah. He, he took a real you know, – how about John Mabry's playing in the outfield?
4: about that? <laughs> John Mabry had like two weeks where he looked like he was going to be very good. Yes,
5: he had the Dom Brown, except he was a good guy. <laughs> Dom gave us Didn't six, six weeks. Cowboys. Mabry
4: gave us about two. Yeah, exactly. All right, let's take a break. We're sneaking a call if we uh, if you want to check in quickly. 215 592 94 with Rob Ellis. I'm Glenn Macknow on 94WIP. Rob Ellis, Glenn Macnow. Uh Just real quick, on Tuesday, August 8th, uh, Ray Dinger and I will be at the Uptown Hour Performing Arts Center in Westchester. Talking about uh, they've released his book, One Last Read, in paperback. the start of Eagles training camp, coming NFL season. There's going to be a VIP reception at 6. The program starts at 7. Also, Tommy and me is coming to that theater. For all info, go to info at org. All right, Rob, Phillies-Guardians tonight, uh, 7-10 start out at Progressive Field. Zach Wheeler for the Phillies against that rookie Tanner Bibby, who's actually mm-hmm. doing pretty well for the Guardians. I'm going to say it's going to be a uh, 5-3 Phillies win.
5: I think the Phillies win. Um, I, I, I think Zach Wheeler's really due for a gem. You know, I mean, he he pitched pretty well his last couple of outings. He went seven against the Padres, gave up three, six the previous against the Marlins, gave up three. Certainly not bad by any stretch. I think he's due to deal. This is not a good offensive team. It's not a team with a lot of power. It's a team that you should get seven, eight out of Wheeler. This should be a relatively smooth game. I think the bats are going to answer a little bit tonight. And I know the kid who's pitching for Cleveland's pitched well, but I like the Phillies a lot today.
4: There you go. Let us go to our producer. By the way, first time I work with Ben Kenny. Very nice job, Ben. What did we forget to talk about today?
8: All right. So, Eagles training camp starts next week and there's nothing to really complain about, which is why everything else is at the forefront, but they did make the signing of the offseason last week. Dennis Kelly is back. DK. <laughs>
4: He's big, and he's a body, and he's offensive line depth, and he – I don't know how much he – I guess he knows the assist. It was previous coaches. It was Doug. Um, But, yeah, you want offensive line depth. uh, I'm I'm good with it.
5: Glenn, I think he goes back to Andy. Does he go back to Andy? I think he was drafted in 12.
8: Wow. I think Andy
5: was still here, believe it or not. But it's – yeah, I mean, look, there isn't anything this guy hasn't seen, right? I mean, we right. we know that he's been around a very, very long time. Yeah, Flexible,
4: he, plays guard, tackle.
5: Right. Yeah, he was. Uh, he was twenty twelve. They they actually traded him for Dorial Green Beckham or Beckham Green. Oh,
4: is that remember that? Like, oh. What a what a no. But remember, he had like a great. Oh no, I'm thinking about somebody else. No,
5: he had the body, you know, yes. of Tarzan, and you know the rest. Uh, he just was. <laughs> he, he
8: just couldn't play. Yeah, yeah. Never could make it.
4: Yep. 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 All right, what else we got?
8: I'm glad we were able to bring that name up again. That's the yes. main point of bringing Kelly back. <laughs> sure. Now, but, uh, you guys touched on it with Derek earlier, but running backs in the NFL right now, Saquon Barkley in New York, unhappy, did not get a contract. It's happening with Josh Jacobs out in Las Vegas. I know Austin Eckler in L.A. is unhappy. I, I mean, the question is what this does for the future, but they all joined together in the last week to create a group chat and complain about it on Twitter in order to fix the problem. <laughs> Which always that works. always is the way to go. Yeah. yeah,
4: and and they have no leverage, and it is it is a darn shame. But it really is. we're not communists, right? This is the way the free market works, and that is a position that is not regarded as one. The teams want to invest money. It's a shame because, in a certain level, they're really stars, right? Josh Jacobs and and Saquon Barkley are two big stars in the league, and it's not exactly like they are uh, in poverty, but it ain't fair, but. That's the market.
5: Yeah, the thing that's tough is they really get beat up. You know, their, their bodies—they just get banged around so much that their their careers are very short lived, and they pay the price afterwards. That's the real shame of this thing. But I don't see it changing. I really no, don't. I think no. it's just the way it is. And if you're if you're a an athlete who could do something else, play receiver or corner, I'll tell you that.
4: Yeah. By the way, tomorrow, uh, Joni and I are going to discuss this. We're Keith Byers, uh, who had a nice career at running back. Mm-hmm back in the day for the Eagles, is going to join us tomorrow to talk about that along with uh, our pal Todd Zielecki. All right, we got time for one more.
8: All right, I'm by no means a fan of soccer, but last night, it was right after the Phillies lost, actually. I'm scrolling Twitter. I see a highlight. Lionel Messi, in his first game with Miami, I believe, scores a game-winning goal in overtime. And it was the first time, at least I've ever seen, the MLS go into every other realm of sports
5: it was yeah it was an amazing goal he like roofed it you know corner incredible shot um and the place it was star packed lebron james was there uh serena williams was there uh, you know the, one of the kardashians was was there it, it was it was an event and you're right it put the mls in in a sort of a different light you had that and you had the us women's team beating vietnam in their first game of the world cup Last night. There you go. So, all Glenn, right. I know you were all over. You were breaking that film down. I know.
4: No, it's, listen, that's great. <laughs> no, that's a good thing. All right, Ben, nice job, Rob, it is always a pleasure. Pleasure, you, Glenn. Thank you. you. Uh, let us thank uh, Derek Gunn, Rhea Hughes, and Eric Kratz for being our guest. Uh, as we said, Ben Kenny, good job by you. And coming up is Go Birds Radio with James Seltzer and Tom Kelly. Correct. That is correct. There you go. Everybody, have a great day. I'll talk to you tomorrow morning on ninety-four WIP.